1: I'm proud of you, Lot. You're my family. The men who helped me slaughter the Starks at the Red Wedding. Yes. yes. yes year brave men all of you butchered a woman pregnant with her babe. cut the throat of a mother of five slaughtered your guests after inviting them into your home but you didn't slaughter every one of the Starks no no That was your mistake. You should have ripped them all out, loot and stem. (laughs) Leave one wolf alive, and the sheep are never safe. Riding their dead horses. Hunting with their packs of pale spiders, big as hounds. It's your host, Sir Duncan the Fearsome and Lady Rachel of House Fox. You're listening to Game of Microphones.
2: Well met, faceless phrase and lurking grayscale arm grabbers, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, Precious Metals protagonist.
3: And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, Barbarian of Faking.
2: And this is episode 103.
3: On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, the season seven premiere, Dragonstone.
2: And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, there's still time to raise a glass of poisoned wine in a toast to the horrible sins of your past and drink deeply so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh, season seven is here.
3: We're here. Oh, my God. I can't believe it,
2: it. Does not disappoint. I love this episode. How about you?
3: I do, too. I I just get chills. Like, there, everything's elevated. Like... Their costumes are elevated. The cinematography is elevated. The CGI is elevated. Like you can just tell that this show has an extremely robust budget.
2: <laughs> robust. <laughs> yeah, that's a good description for it, for sure. And oh, creative,
3: man. too. I mean, the costumes in this episode are unreal.
2: Yeah, totally. Who? What really stuck out to you? Which one?
3: Um I love Sansa's. I think she's really become a woman in front of our eyes. So, I mean, Sophie Turner in general is just extremely stunning and that red hair against that black with that chain. And I don't know, she just looks really good. And honestly, I have to give a shout out to Cersei. Oh yeah. I love her dress. Armored shoulder pads. I can't get over how amazing she looks in it with Mm -hmm. the short hair and the you know, oh, man, it
2: looks like there's like plate armor inside of her whole uh, torso piece that she's wearing there, too.
3: Yeah, it's in the leather, the detail in the leather. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even like little lady Leona Mormont looks amazing. You know, they they've just outdone themselves.
2: Yeah, I, I was so busy taking notes that I, I didn't really um, immerse myself in the in the details of the clothing this episode. I'll have to pay attention to that as we move forward.
3: Yeah, everybody's elevated. I mean, like even down to Missandei, and nice. Tyrion has a new like leather outfit. Oh, that's I love Danny's
2: outfit. Oh,
3: yeah, she looks pretty looks incredible. Great. Nothing beats that white, um, that white jacket she wears at the end of this oh, season. Oh, the
2: fur. So,
3: yeah, like I love what she's wearing now. But
2: yeah, her I've seen wardrobe some just amazing gets replicas of that that cosplayers have worn that that fur jacket from the end of the season?
3: If I had a fur jacket like that, I would wear it every day, even <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> I feel like I'm that person. Hilarious. So, yeah. What did you think?
2: Oh, man. Just so many so many good things in this episode. It was hard to pick a top five for me. Um, me too. How about we jump right into it? What's your number five, Lady Rachel?
3: My number five is the beginning of the scenes at Winterfell. So like John talking to like the entire crowd up into Sansa kind of battling with him. And then it actually goes into the kind of what I would dub their, their resolution. Cause I think that whole flow is really important for the dynamic that we're going to see, I think in season eight with Sansa and John. Definitely. Definitely. So we're, we're up and I love that we finally get a, A glimpse of John at the high table. Uh, He talks to Malisandra about this high table, that it's very special to him. Like he always saw his family up there Mm -hmm. and now he's like the head of that table. So I thought that shot was important. Sansa looks amazing. Her hair is it's literally on fire. It's like, I know we've talked a lot about the, the lighting up in the north, that kind of like grayish hue that they have. Yeah,
2: how they sort of desaturate everything and uh, it's very yes. bleak looking, yet Sansa's hair it's glows. on fire.
3: <laughs> and so is, we meet um, Alice Karstark. Her hair is on yeah, fire too. true,
2: true. Um, Lit up.
3: Those redheads, man.
2: Yeah, it's pretty wild. And Johnny Stitches is in redhead heaven out there somewhere.
3: Yeah, so... John is addressing all of the northern lords about mining and finding dragon glass to turn it into weapons Good and explaining plan. kind of why they need that. And
2: he's on point.
3: Basically, the entire population needs to fight, ages 10 through 60, boy or girl, it doesn't matter. And uh, Lord Glover is a little bit taken aback when he said like the girls fight too. He's like, I'm not going to put a spear in my granddaughter's hand. Like, are you kidding? And freaking little, (laughs) little Leona Mormont. She's like, I don't intend on knitting by the fire while men fight for me. Like, and you do not have authority over me. Like to tell me if I can or cannot uh, fight for the North. Like you don't have that right to tell me.
2: Totally. She pones him so hard,
4: too. I was just like, damn. Oh, my God.
3: (laughs) I love it. And I love that Sansa smiles at this sentiment. Oh, yeah, Um, totally. Sansa and
2: Brienne both watch sort of in wonder and proudness as as little Lady Liana dominates.
3: We do get a camera shot of Brienne when... Um, John says the girls are gonna fight too. She's right. like, Yes, like finally. And right when no. uh
2: right when Liana's little lady Liana says, And I don't need your permission to defend the North, and then it cuts to Sansa and Brienne, <laughs> and they're both smiling.
3: <laughs> yeah, and so does Davos. Yeah, he Davos smiles, smiles too. too yep. I, I really think that Liana is reminiscent of um
2: Shireen, it's got to like soothe his wound a little bit of losing. They're the same
3: age, if I'm not mistaken, um, or very close to the same age, and they're both very fiery and stubborn. (laughs) Yeah, and um, Davos Davos calls Shireen stubborn at some at one point earlier in the series. He goes, "You're stubborn like your father." (laughs) damn the both of you you know
4: Mm
3: -hmm. like you're relentless essentially and i feel that same kind of vibe from little leon little leona mormont (laughs) triple l yeah she's the best so john drops the bomb on the north that the wildlings are going to be the new night's watch
2: (laughs) yeah they're gonna (laughs) augment or supplement the uh the force that's manning the wall and
3: Yep. So he's sending them to Eastwatch by the sea. So this is, this is, we've heard of Eastwatch before because that's where.
2: Was it um, awful Yarwick?
3: No, I think he was going to send Jano Slint there.
2: Right. Right. Yeah.
3: So now we know though that it's by the ocean. So we kind of get an idea of where it is on the wall. And um, (laughs) I love Torment here. He's like,
2: He's so bad. Like we're the
3: mat now. Yeah, he's ready for anything.
2: <laughs> he's just laughing about it. Because that is such so, so funny. They've spent so much time fighting the, the crows and you know, battling these people that have been trying to keep them out. And now they're gonna be filling the role that the crows had been, <laughs> you know, functioning as for thousands of years, essentially. The oh, the irony, <laughs> right?
3: Totally. Um, so we we find out that kind of a little bit more geography. So I know we get the map every time in the opening credits, but we don't go over all of the houses. So the the Carhold and the last hearth, we know that they're very far north, but like, where do they land on the map? So we kind of start getting a sense that these castles are the closest to Eastwatch by the sea.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And John that,
2: seems to have singled out a, like uh, Eastwatch by the sea as a potential attack point for the for the Night King due to its location in proximity to Hardhome, right?
3: Yeah, it'd be like their first contact with the wall, um, right. like as far as, you know, where they are geographically. If they were at Hardhome, they're coming this way, so they're going to hit Eastwatch first. So why not, you know, try there? And if that doesn't work, maybe he's thinking they'll work their way
2: down. Mm-hmm. And it's also important to note that John is talking openly about the army of the dead to the Northern Lords here. <laughs> you know?
3: Yeah, I think he gave them a big reality check last episode, and he's like, "Our enemy is not gonna like rest for the and wait out the storm. Like right. he brings the storm. Like this is a legitimate situation. Like I've fought them. Um, multiple people have fought them, and I'm sure word is getting around. You know, I'm sure that there's been murmurings and.
4: Yeah, has um, to be.
3: John doesn't sound like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's pretty
2: even killed and very even killed, I'd say.
3: Yeah. And steady. As we see and with how he
2: deals with Houses Umber and Carstark.
3: Exactly. So I think people trust him that he's not like, why would he be wigging out about this? Jon mm-hmm. Snow be wigging out about this. Like he could have just stayed Lord Commander at the Night's Watch and or left and not gone anywhere at all. But the fact that he's trying to unite the North to fight against the army of the dead. There's truth behind that whole situation.
2: He really does see the bigger picture. And um, as far as mentioning how he deals with those other houses as well, he sees the wisdom in mercy and unity. And uh, I like, I like that part.
3: Yeah, me too. And so we get Lord Royce coming in from like left field. He's like, let's tear those castles down. Like those are (laughs) traitors. Like leave no stone on you know, unbroken, and it's like, what?
2: Yeah, that's like, crazy why would talk. you
3: was bashing castles, like, and I love Sansa. She's like, um, castles didn't commit any crimes. Yeah, beautiful. It was the people in the castle.
2: Yeah, and she's like, we should give those castles to loyal families who supported us against the Boltons. And I'm like, yeah, good thinking, Sansa. Pretty, it is good, good thinking. idea.
3: Yeah, and um, I like kind of where they're both coming from. Mm-hmm. Very different.
2: Yeah, it's like. Sansa's idea is good. I just think John's idea is better. Uh I agree. Yeah.
3: I, I think John's point is much stronger, especially in the situation that they are in right now.
2: Right, definitely. Um
3: maybe if they didn't have the Night King kind of looming in the north and they just
2: you Yeah, know maybe if at. if unity wasn't like utmost of utmost importance.
3: Exactly. Um and John knows that if he starts ripping castles away from ancient families, that you know people are going to like lose faith in him pretty quickly as the king in the north.
2: Right? Who's who's secure? Exactly. I, I like that sentiment. You know, he's like he's like I'm not going to strip these families of their ancestral homes because of the crimes of a few reckless sons. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's
3: true. And I, I think the Stark's are related. Somehow to the Starks, if I'm not mistaken, like historically.
2: Yeah, they're an, like a semi-ancient offshoot of House Stark. House Car Stark.
3: And I think that's why they made Alice a redhead. But I found that so she resembled Sansa a little bit.
4: Oh, interesting. But
3: I, I found that funny because Sansa gets her red hair from the Tully line, not the Stark line. The Starks oh, are true, best. true, true. That's funny. And we actually get that a little bit here. So Ned always wore his hair like, you know, half up, half down, like half of it pulled back. The top half pulled back and, you know, the bottom half down. Yep. Yep. We see John wearing it like this. We've seen him wearing it for, I think, a season or two at this point. Um, But we see Arya wearing it like that too. this episode.
2: I love Arya back in Westeros, man.
3: Me too. She looks like such a badass. She's
2: so cool. Yeah, really exciting.
3: Yeah, so um, Sansa's really kind of arguing with John at this point. And I think it's she's frustrated because she had a huge role to play in the Battle of the Bastards. While she kept it a secret and all that stuff, which I don't agree with, she basically won that battle for them. Her Her last name is Stark, and she just kind of gets passed over by a brother that, you know, while she's really happy to see and happy to be around, They've had a strained relationship most of their lives.
2: Yeah, definitely.
3: So I think there's a little power struggle going on here mm-hmm. um, of how much leeway is John going to give Sansa, kind of channeling the Stark name through his sister?
2: And how much leeway is he going to give these houses? She says, like, so what? So there's no punishment for treason exactly. now and no reward for being loyal?
3: And you can totally get where she's kind of coming from here because this is the traditional way. But Jon has seen the bigger picture. He's seen the army of the dead. Sansa hasn't. Right. He knows that this bickering and lack of trust and starting to pull these cards and take away ancient rights is, you know, rights to houses or, you know, castles. That's not the way to go about defeating the real threat.
2: And the conversation is even more intense as we learn that Alice Karstark and um, the little Umber kid, what's his name?
3: John or Ned. Ned, Ned, um, Ned
2: Umber is Ned. that they're in the hall while they're discussing this, potentially losing their castles so for their leaving their families out. And
3: they're like young kids too. So you can, I mean, it might be a little bit easier for John to swallow if it came down to it, if they were like grown ass men right. and women, but like, He's like super
2: young. Yeah, exactly. And think about it like this: He's ten like, years old. Um, like this basically is like saying that children shouldn't be responsible for the sins of their fathers. You know that whole um, yes. that whole argument, and like why should the, the the children have their homes taken away because their fathers made some bad decisions? You know what I mean.
3: That is echoed. That same sentiment is echoed when Danny and John meet for the first time.
2: Right. It is.
3: You know, she asks him to not judge her by the wrongdoings of her father. And, um, you know, I I like I like that idea.
2: Yeah. And then the same thing last episode when she's meeting with Theon and Yara and Tyrion, obviously the same thing. They all basically agree to not judge each other based on, on their fa- their horrible father's um, actions. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. Which is so- pretty funny john he goes well he's trying to make it so they both seem kind of like he's trying to like get on the same page with his sister in front of this huge crowd and he's getting frustrated and she's getting frustrated and he's like look they died on the battlefield small john small john umber died on the battlefield harold Karstark died on the battlefield
2: yeah death is the punishment for treason and they've paid the price so they
3: died anyways and this is Sansa with the old way, kind of just mold in her mind. Like they betrayed our house. Like their their house betrayed our house. It's not about individuals. It's this about, is like kind
2: of like Cersei influence, I would say. Just like yes. burn them to the
4: ground.
3: You know? this is actually why it's my number five. It's my number five is a little long today um, because this is um, when we go up to the the battlements. Like the walkway mm-hmm. is where we get the line where she says, "I learned a great deal from her."
2: Yeah, definitely.
3: So it's not surprising now that Sansa's is in a powerful role for her, um, you know, education coming kind of an unfolding in her personality. She's able to show it versus being meek and scared and playing the victim.
2: Yeah. It's just unfortunate that she's sort of shown um, like a, that they said she's created a disagreement in a public scenario like that. <laughs> like uh, that's yeah. what John's upset about as well. Um,
4: exactly. It's just like,
2: like you're talking about being a parent. You need to, Provide a united front to override the will of a two-year-old. Same thing happens with here, basically being a being king or lord of a castle and uh, presiding over the the group. Yeah, yeah, presiding over the 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 northern lords. Yeah, they need to be on the same page exactly. Yeah,
3: because two-year-olds are relentless. If they see a chink in your armor, they're gonna go for it.
2: Yeah, and Glovers are relentless too, as we've learned from the past couple episodes. They certainly
3: are. (laughs) Um. So is kind of arguing, you know, well, they died on the wrong side of the battlefield. And, uh, you know, John's like, look, I've executed people who betrayed me, who refused to follow my orders.
2: I love invoking Ned here with that quote. Yes.
3: Yes. A man who, a man who passes a sentence to swing the sword. Yes. And he's tried to live by that. And he really has. Yeah, he um, has. He's done a good job at it. But I'm not going to punish a son or his father's
2: sins. Ah, yeah. He says it. Right. And I forgot he said it here. Yeah.
3: I'm not going to take a family home. It's it's centuries old. Like we're not talking about like a new house, like taking Winterfell away from the Boltons or right. River run away from the phrase. We're talking about descendants of the first men. Totally. Like their stronghold. It's
2: not taking Harrenhal from Baelish or something. <laughs>
3: exactly. Exactly.
4: <laughs> You're
3: you're digging really, really deep yeah. into a place that you don't really want to go in the north, especially because they're loyal.
4: Right.
2: A couple bad eggs and ruining it, ruining it for everybody.
3: Exactly. So he goes to Sansa basically like that is my decision and my decision is final. Again, like what we do with our two-year-old.
2: <laughs> right. <Don't, totally. laughs> like,
3: shut up. And I'm like,
2: wow, John is like a king right now. You know what I mean? Like, that's fucking wild. You can
3: tell he's very uncomfortable talking to her like that, though. Yeah, he is. Even though he has to mm-hmm. in this situation, because I truly believe what his way is the right way yeah. in this situation. And I
2: gave him props, too, for, for doing it. And like, I was like, good for you. Like, even though he was so uncomfortable, he rose to the occasion and did what he thought was right and stood up for justice.
3: Yeah. And so this is when we discover that Ned Umber, little Ned Umber and Alice Karstark are in the building.
2: Yeah. He calls them forth. Oh my <laughs> God. And I was like, Oh damn. They're yeah. like
3: young they're, too, you know? Yeah.
2: Just the, the revelation that they were there, like blew my mind, like that they're, they're discussing these dire consequences.
3: Especially as a first time viewer, like we saw small John umber i mean he wasn't like necessarily a young guy no no but like he could have had a brother like close in age or an uncle like an old uncle to take his place but no it's like this little 10 year old boy you are like how could you take his home away from him right because of something his dad did
2: yeah totally like
3: he has no control over that now if he was 33 and was agreeing with his father and plotting like alongside his father sure i mean i would maybe consider taking it away
2: Mm mm-hmm but I, I think John was right in his judgment here.
3: So he's basically making them repledge their houses um, as the Stark Spannermen.
2: Yes.
3: So he's making these young kids, the impre- these impressionable kids, re-swear the oath to House Stark, which is honestly kept faith for thousands of years. Totally. It was just a little blip on the map.
2: Yeah, and this is this is typical for um, this type of scenario too, where. Um, when you become king, you call for your bannermen basically to pledge their loyalty to the new king and to you to like affirm existing relations and stuff.
3: So he has them swear and they, they kneel and they unsheathe their swords and put them in the stand. And, you know, basically they, they take the the vow now and always. And people cheer to that. They're like, yeah, that's that's a
2: good call. Yeah. You know? And it made me think of that moment in Napoleon Dynamite. Always and forever. <laughs> Always and forever. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Such a proud moment.
3: So this is the we, we cut up to the walkway and this is kind of where my number five kind of ends is um their conversation and John is pissed. He's like, you cannot undermine me like that in front of people. You know, and she's like, well, what? We can't question your decisions? And she's he, like, I'm not even saying that, you crazy person. Like, right. I'm he's, just saying, it's more about the public question my thing. authority in private. Yeah. And she she compares him to Joffrey. Yeah. She I was like, Damn. Like what the hell? And yeah,
2: she's being a little snarky too. She's like, "Will you start wearing a crown?" You know, and he's like, "You're my sister, but I'm a king now." You know, and I was like, "Yeah, he probably should start wearing a crown." <laughs>
3: you know, Don't like you want him to wear a crown,
2: right, like- yeah. yeah, exactly. But yeah, when when he's like, "You're comparing," like, "Do you think I'm Joffrey?" You know, and he, she looked like I think she, she kind of catches it.
3: herself here. Yeah,
2: she realized she fucked up, and <laughs> he was kind of she offended. She just took by it a little
3: that. too far, you know. Yeah, was- totally. But in in fairness to Sansa, look who she's been around.
4: Oh yeah, for Joffrey sure.
3: tormented her, Ramsay tormented her, Littlefinger, as in a creepily yeah. weird way, tormented her too. So I think that's her initial reaction is maybe to get defensive now, especially because she feels safer with Jon, right? And I think she realizes pretty quickly after she says that, that that was inappropriate. And she goes,
2: she changes tactics, starts buttering up, buttering him up. Yeah,
4: (laughs) she
3: she does a 180 here. And (laughs) she's like, well, you're actually really good at ruling.
2: That's pretty funny.
3: You know, they really respect you, but he laughs. Why are you laughing? And he goes, you know, father used to say everything the word. Before the word butt is horseshit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's two Ned quotes in one episode from John. Epic.
3: So he's certainly channeling his father. Yeah,
2: he is. It's great. He's in that mindset. He's mindsta- trying to mindset.
3: be that, that person. That
2: lord. Yeah, he's trying to, you know, get in his dad's headspace to to, to do the job he needs to do and be honorable. Because
3: and- he was never groomed to be lord.
4: Right, and right,
3: he was also the Lord, I mean, although he was the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, I mean, when he took the black, he never expected to like be the ruler of the Winterfell, yeah, <laughs> the Lord the of Winterfell and King in the North,
4: yeah,
2: totally, he, yeah, I wouldn't say he's the Lord of Winterfell, he is the King of the North, but I would say Sansa is the like the leader the of, Winterfell, of Winterfell. Winterfell, right, yeah, That's so true. so it's That's weird, true. it's like we have a king who doesn't have like a palace.
4: That's Think true. About that how
2: weird is that? Where Where is his seat of power operating from Winterfell, where he's not the I Lord? I guess so.
3: It's
2: pretty interesting, or dragonstone
3: right? dragonstone
2: at this point. Yeah. Who? The, yeah. Although
3: they're on their way back to Winterfell.
2: He, yeah, yeah, true. Oh, man. It's so uh, exciting. So I can't so wait till a new season.
3: We see Ma- Maester Wolken again.
2: And this is the guy who Ram- Ramsay stabbed Roose in front of, right?
3: Yeah, so I think he's probably a little relieved that <laughs> yeah. um, he has the Starks, you know, and the Starks are nice people.
2: He got lucky.
3: He certainly did. Yeah, I survived and, that shit. Um, oh, before we move on, I, you know... So I forgot to mention that Sansa says you have to be smarter smarter than father than Rob. You know, like I love them, I miss them, but God damn it, they got their heads chopped off, which you have to be smart. It's
2: an intense moment. John is sort of walking away and he she grabs his arm and and turns him towards her and and like says to him, like, you have to be smarter than they were. And it's true, like, like John or Ned telegraphed his actions to Cersei, got himself killed. Rob fucked up and allowed the, you know, he for he he didn't stay focused on the, the operation, got distracted by romance and lost the fray alliance, got himself fucking murdered. Um, John needs to be better than them. And Sansa is this is a really important moment for her, I think, trying to trying to get and him she's to wake kind of up a little. with
3: him. Like, would it be so terrible to like include me and and listen to me. Like, let's, let's do this together. Like, like kind of like what you just said, I'm the lady of Winterfell and you're the king in the North. Like we, we kind of have to do this together. Mm -hmm. So we need to get on the same page. And I think it's kind of her olive branch because she, you know, apologizes. um, I think in the last episode to him about not telling him about the, um, the uh, the, Lords of the Vale.
2: This is important too. just equating him with with Ned and with Rob. He's she's essentially equating John with the stark males, you know, which is
3: exactly
2: inclusive, looking at him like a family member and being like, you have to be even better than them.
3: So I think it's kind of her olive branch a little bit. Like, would it be so terrible if we did this together? You know, like, can I trust you and can you trust me? Can you like. You know, listen to my ideas and counsel, because. If anyone's been groomed to sit the seat at Winterfell, it's not Jon Snow. Right. It's Sansa. You
2: know she she mentions how Ned had never told her that that everything become that comes before butt is a uh, horse shit, right? And yes. Jon tells her, yeah, he never cursed in front of the girls, and Sansa is kind of like upset about that because she says he was trying to protect us. He never wanted us to see how dirty every the world really was but, but he couldn't protect me and neither can you and stop
3: trying. Yeah.
2: I felt like, I felt like she, there's a, she's a little bit mad at Ned and like she, she was overprotected and ended up getting dumped headfirst into the deep end of the world with no warning and, you know, a little bit overwhelming to say the least.
4: Definitely.
3: Um. So we, we, we get the Raven from King's Landing and it's basically Cersei summoning John yeah. to King's Landing. Like, why the fuck would he go? She knows that. And so basically she's calling him a traitor.
2: Yeah, she's, she's he's being summoned to kneel, you know, come to King's Landing, bend the knee or suffer the fate of all traitors.
3: Which is basically like, I'm going to cut off your head like I cut off your dad's.
2: Yeah. And it's funny, too, all these blonde queens trying to get John to bend the knee. What, what have they like been talking to Igrit or something?
3: Yeah, they're like, we got to get John back on our side. These redheads are taking over.
2: (laughs) Well, a grit would, you know, have John bend the knee for a different reason, right? Oh, damn. That's that's where I was going with that. All these queens trying to get John to bend the knee. They know about the Lord's kiss. Got it. Got it.
3: (laughs) And Sansa's like, fuck, we've been so consumed with the Night King. We forgot about Cersei.
2: Yeah, good point.
3: And that's a big deal to Sansa because she knows what she's capable of. I wonder if they know that the Sept of Baelor has been blown up. Be curious.
2: I know those soldiers in the Riverlands know. They mention it to Arya. And yeah. Jamie knows about how the Freys are all dead in King's Landing. So word is getting around about various things. I bet that they know that the Sept has been destroyed at this point.
3: Yeah. So I think that worries Sansa because... Definitely. Basically, this is why I think that they know is because she goes anyone that's ever crossed her or like tried to go up against her, she's found a way to murder. Yeah, Like she even like blew up like an ancient building.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. If, if she didn't know that the sept had been destroyed, she wouldn't be saying that because Marjorie Tyrell would still be alive. You know, the high sparrow would still be alive, but all these people who've crossed her in one way or another, they're all dead.
3: Yeah. So this is where we get the, um, you almost sound as if you admire her. And Sansa goes, "I learned yeah. a great deal from her." Intense. Oh God! You know, Sansa. I think she's going to be a force.
2: Yeah. In season eight, and hopefully, uh, you know, you, you can't deny that Sansa has learned a lot from Cersei about strategy and tactics, and just about like you know the world in in general. Um, and hopefully, John will end up learning the truth of that—that that Sansa knows this type of stuff. Um, you know. She's this been listening
3: stuff. this whole time.
2: Yeah, exactly. And hopefully she she's can put that the knowledge to use. She's played the role of a use. stupid
3: girl, a stupid fleeting girl, which I think she was when we sure. first meet her. But I think that very quickly turns as early as season one. Mm. She's like, I have to continue to play this passive role until I'm safe.
2: That is a good point.
3: Um, which she is now. She's back at Winterfell. So now we see what she's learned
2: yeah. What she's
3: been paying attention to. I think totally. we're gonna get a lot of that in season eight.
2: I hope so. Yeah, it'll be good to see her putting that knowledge to use, definitely. Really And exciting. how
3: much of an influence like Littlefinger is on her, and how much of an influence Cersei has been, and how much of it's Sansa, like really Sansa, or her just portraying these two major chess players of Game of Thrones.
2: Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see their capabilities with Sansa's morality yeah definitely
3: well that's my number five i know it was super long but i felt it was just a really important um you know couple of scenes to tie together because totally of the the two characters that it involves
2: yeah and it's our first time seeing john as king in the north which is yes. just super exciting love it yeah do you I have
3: anything else you want to add
2: i think that pretty much covers it pretty well
3: nice so what's your number
2: five? My number five is winter has come for House Frey.
3: Okay, um, this is my number two. All
2: right, so let's collab.
3: Nice, you take it away.
2: So we get the cold open for the episode, and the episode yes, starts another
3: cold open. Yeah,
2: totally. We got the Hound, and we got Arya, and interestingly, we got we got a uh, cold openings for both of those characters who are in big with the Lord of light and like have a connection between each other too. Right. So true. Uh, they're uh, each, as they each sort of are reborn in, in, in Westeros, like what the hound beginning his new life essentially. And then Arya returning as a faceless man. Um, We're, we're getting these <sighs> two uh cold opens for each of these characters. It's got to be important. They both got to be playing a big role.
3: I was so I remember being a little confused when this cold open opened. I thought we were looking into the past. I thought it might be a flashback.
2: Right. Because, yeah, because Walder died at the end of season six. Yes. So we see um, the, the camera starts out looking at his waist and pans upward and we see Walder Frey standing there and <laughs> yeah. And we're like, Oh, is this a flashback?
3: I was a little confused. I was like, this must be a flashback. And I knew that up to this point, the show has not used flashbacks except, except for, the for Hodor. Visions. Yeah. Ex- yeah. And mostly the Hodor. <clears throat> um, oh, I guess the tower of joy too. Yeah, All like of Bran's visions for sure.
4: Yeah,
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I think I, I think I pretty much knew like immediately. You know, I was like, "Oh my God, it's Arya." <laughs> you
3: did yeah. see? I didn't even like that. Wasn't even on my radar.
2: Yeah, I think it was. like. She said
3: that she was going home, but we don't like we didn't see her go home. So
2: no, we we saw her at House Frey. Remember slitting Walder's throat at the end of last episode? Oh, that's
3: right. That's right. Never uh, mind. See, I always I always like juxtapose. Those Walter two. Walter Frey dying into like this episode for some reason. I
2: know, me too. I always think it's at the beginning of season seven.
3: Uh yeah. So I I these two scenes they thoroughly confuse me at first. I'm like, <laughs> are we looking into the past, like right after the red wedding? Like that's yeah, so funny. Why is this significant? And then when he pulled his face off, I was like, Well, there were certain nuances of that actor that was Walter Frey, but he was saying things that were like um starkish like family
2: um sir patrick mentions in his feedback that the episode originally was supposed to start with the army of the dead coming through the the ice mist but that this actor portraying walder frey's performance was just so good as arya imitating walder frey that uh, they wanted to use that for the cold open, apparently. Oh,
3: my God. That's badass. Yeah. Because it really
2: was good. And you can totally tell it's Aria. <laughs> yeah. So we see Walder Frey standing there and I'm like, oh, my God, as I realize it's Arya. I'm like, she has the technology because she <laughs> she made this faceless man mask herself. You know what I mean? Like she killed Walder last season at the end of the episode and she Must have cut off his face himself and employ this magic, like imbue the face with whatever faceless man magic uh, takes place to allow you to imitate their voice and their body and all this crap, you know? So whatever crazy tech is at play here, basically, Arya has the technology. So I thought that was really (laughs) exciting. Just realizing that, that she like a, a girl truly is no one, basically at this point, like she has the skills of a faceless man. Yes, she does. It's amazing. Uh so all the Freys are hanging out and Walder uh he slams the cup down on the table and he's like he's like, I bet you're wondering why I brought you all here. After all, we just had a feast.
3: And I'm frugal.
2: Yeah, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> Since when does old Walder give us two feasts in a single fortnight? And I was like, Oh, this is totally Arya because she's taking a jab at Walder's character here. Being
3: you know, yeah, <laughs> like a little like, tight tight purse. <laughs> yeah, so
2: that's like your first real clue that this is Arya as she jabs at Walder, who probably wouldn't have self deprecating humor. Um, I mean, think about the no, way he was talking about all. himself last episode with with uh, Jamie, right?
5: Jamie, yeah, yeah
2: exactly. So uh, <laughs> so everybody laughs and he's been talking about how he's it's time for them all to celebrate together, and he's like, I've gathered every fray who means a damn thing. So I could tell you my plans for this great house now that winter has come. And that could essentially be Arya talking like (laughs) I've gathered you all to tell you my plans for your house, which is total elimination.
3: (laughs) Total destruction. Yeah,
2: it's amazing. So he's like first a toast and no, no more of this Dornish horse piss. This is the finest arbor gold proper wine for proper heroes. And it's like, Oh my God, it's just so like ridiculous. And then he says the house words stand together. Oh yes. And everybody stand repeats. Yeah, yeah. And all the, every, all the phrase repeat it and all start to drink as he lifts the cup to his lips, but doesn't actually drink. And this little wife next to him goes to take a drink and he's like, "Not you, not you, I'm not <laughs> wasting the good wine on a damn woman. And it's like, perfect thing to for that Walter Frey would say something like that like totally just sexist and like horrible but it's it's accomplishing Arya's mission at the same time by sparing the girl you know who she doesn't want to kill she's innocent you of know course. So, of
3: course so she also needs i think she spares all of the girls cuz the girls yeah. holding the wine aren't drinking it
2: right yeah yeah good call and uh it's it's just yeah i like that she a needs lot.
3: witnesses
2: yep yeah <laughs> so he he pauses and doesn't drink, or she, I guess, um, Arya as Walder Frey, and then he continues to speak um, as as uh, everybody else begins to drink, and it starts to it's it starts to like it's more of that uncharacteristic Walder talk where he it's things that he wouldn't necessarily be saying, but it doesn't it's not too off putting.
3: Sure, like not being the most pleasant man. Yeah,
2: he's like more self deprecating stuff, like. He's like, you know, maybe I'm not the most pleasant, I'll admit it, but I'm proud of you lot. You're my family. The men who helped me slaughter the Starks at the Red Wedding. And the crowd sort of like cheers a little bit.
3: Yeah, cheer you brave men, yeah, all of you. Yeah, and at that
2: moment I'm like, uh-oh. And it's 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 about to transition to the bizarre as Arya is disgusted by the cheers and reaction to mentioning the Red Wedding. And
3: the look on Walder Frey's face, the actor that yes. plays Walder Frey, he his look of disgust is is what made this scene so So great.
2: good. So good, yeah. This actor is fantastic in this scene, and so I'm like thinking about this time as she's invoking the red wedding. Isn't this the same room that the red wedding took place in?
3: Uh, yes.
2: So, it so would be. what poetic justice? Oh, yeah,
3: it would. I think it is.
2: Yeah, I think, I think so. Right. So, what what poetic justice as uh, as Arya or as um as Walder Frey meeting his end in the same room as he betrayed Robb Stark. never
3: even occurred
2: to me. Yes. Yeah, that makes
3: this so much more impactful.
2: Full circle, right? the, oh, the crime damn. The crime leading directly to the punishment. What goes around comes around.
3: <laughs> and I love that she's checked that name and her revenge off the list. But I, I think I said this last episode, you have to be as as a lover of Arya, you have to be concerned with how cold hearted assassinate, like what a cold hearted assassin she has become. Right,
2: Like worried for her, her, her her soul, basically you could say.
3: Yeah. Like keeping her in, In the realm of check, like not having her go all crazy, like Cersei crazy. Right.
2: If she attains the faceless men capabilities, but at the cost of her, her morality and soul, it would be somewhat of a Pyrrhic victory. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, exactly. It's like you want to root for her and no one's going to like think that this is not a good situation for Arya to get revenge, but... She's at the still same a young time, girl yeah, and it's, it's pretty dark <laughs> to like wipe out an entire house. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. What? She's
2: achieved Tywin Lannister status at like nine years old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty amazing. Oh, so uh, this is when it really transitions into the bizarre and she goes from complimenting the phrase to berating them. And uh, it starts off. He's still encouraging them. Yes. Yes. Cheer. And he starts to mock them. Brave men. All of you. Butchered a a woman pregnant with her babe, cut the throat of a mother of five, slaughtered your guests after inviting them into your home. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, your home, not our home. You know, like it's becoming more and more clear with the language that she's using.
3: And people are starting to cough.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you hear
3: like a couple, like small coughs around, like
2: a couple moans. As a first time viewer,
3: you're not even going to think about it. It's just people in the background.
2: Just people cough, especially phrase, (laughs) the sickly phrase.
3: Yeah, exactly. But then it picks up a little bit as she kind of crescendos into.
2: Yeah, but you didn't slaughter every one of the Starks.
3: That was your mistake.
2: Yeah. You should have ripped Root them all and out. Stem. <laughs> <laughs> and
3: stem. Uh,
2: and I'm thinking again, your mistake. You didn't slaughter every one of the Starks. Not us. Not our mistakes. Yeah, yeah. We. And then now they're all choking and coughing and throwing up and spitting blood all over the place. And it, the camera cuts in real close to Walder's face. And he is lo- intently watching as all of this he's is smiling. happening. Yeah. Leave one wolf alive and the sheep are never safe. And oh, my God, that line was so uh, good. So good. I know. The, you know, the, I love that the
4: epic moment. Yeah.
2: How they keep using the animal imagery in terms of like the sigils and the houses. Uh, so when, you, when she says leave one wolf alive, she's obviously saying leave one Stark alive. But it's just like so cool, man.
3: Yes, absolutely. But never safe.
2: Oh man! So wow this this guy I can't remember die. his name. Yeah, they're all <laughs> keeling over and dying, and this actor again, his performance as this with this close up as he's just like watching zealously as all these people are dying and everything. It's it's approaching Orphan Black territory, um, which <laughs> it's a it's a show <laughs> where one character plays like twelve clones of herself all of different characteristics and everything like that. And at some points, one of the clones will be like imitating another clone to get access to a facility or to like, you know, for some purpose. Oh, and so it'll be like one character playing. So it's like modern like, day Sybil. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what that is, but <laughs> they'll be You like, don't know
3: about Sybil. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, I don't think so. It's like a story about a, woman that have like she had a personality multiple personality disorder but she had like 12 distinct personalities Oh
2: all right yeah it gets yeah kind of similar It's like
3: a story about her like psychosis essentially.
2: Nice. And have to watch using it. her
3: personalities to manipulate people.
2: That's wild. Yeah. So in, yeah. in Orphan Black, there's a lot of scenes where like one clone with one very distinctive personality will be doing her best to impersonate another another clone with a very different personality. And it's just like it's really, really funny and well done. And Walder is nice. like sort of nails it here, doing the same type of thing. Really good um <laughs> so that was kind of cool and then at this point everybody <laughs> sort, of, sort of collapsed and died and just splayed out all over the the tables that are filling this banquet area and uh the camera cuts to this side looking past aria down to towards this girl right and it's it's uh it's walder frey standing there but he reaches up to his face and begins to pull off his face oh, and man. revealing Arya Stark and the little girl, like the, the the wife, the little girl that's standing she's next like, to him. Oh my god! Yeah, she's what like, what hell? is happening here? And then Arya turns to her, and this is um one of the things that last episode reminded me of when um when Tyrion places his hand on Yezin's shoulder after gray worm slits yeah. those two guys throats and he's like go back to the slaver cities and tell them what you saw you know based that type of thing this is the same thing here with Arya talking to this girl and she's like when people ask you what happened here tell them the north remembers tell them winter came for house fray <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
2: legendary Arya is a fucking badass dude so this is cool. her g,
3: g unit moment, yeah, totally,
2: <laughs> and it also it, there's shades of that um that uh when the stir the then magnar sets Ollie free after sacking his whole village too, and tells him, yeah, to go to fly to the crows and warn them you know of of uh, what's happening, totally similar type moment as well, so she gets up and starts walking down through the the banquet hall amidst all these dead bodies. And she's smiling and I'm like, oh my God, she's, she pulled this off flawlessly. Like, God damn. I know. So many dead people. Every fray worth a damn. Oh, Frey, damn. Frey, Frey, House Frey, <laughs> Frey is marked for death in the books as well, but in a very different manner.
3: Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So as long wow. as they're
3: marked for death, that's, yeah, that's right, a good right, thing. Right.
2: Totally. <laughs> so yeah, love this cold open. Um, just great all around. Great to see Arya back in Westeros and handling business, and just, just taking out a huge amount of people.
4: Second
3: names off the list.
2: Yeah, she really has acquired quite a skill set, and it's you know really fun to see it employed, especially against such loathsome characters as walter frey assholes. who we all just despise love to hate him too bad he's gone mashed I mean, up assholes yeah mashed up assholes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally oh my god
3: i will never forget that <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, oh yeah.
3: damn
2: cool so uh yeah that that's it for my number five how about your numero cuatro
3: my number four is ed sheeran <laughs> nice
2: me too well kind of mine is hands of gold more about the okay. song but yeah
3: Okay, more about the song. Why don't we go through the song first? Because my number four is more about Arya interacting with um, Lannister soldiers.
2: Oh, sure. Cool. Yeah, so Ed Sheeran is just chilling there, singing the song. And I didn't know it was Ed Sheeran when I was watching it. So I was just like, oh, oh really? Cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought it was like, you know, just some dude singing. Some I was dude. like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, these guys are just hanging out, making the best Yeah, we were like, of like, oh,
4: damn.
3: Time. It's Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Sheeran. <laughs> and so he's singing
2: this song um, about a, a man riding through the streets of the city, down from his hill on high, over the steps and the cobbles and the winding roads. And he's, he's riding to a woman's side, a woman who is his secret treasure, his shame and his bliss, and a chain and a keep or nothing compared to a woman's kiss. For hands of gold are always cold, but a woman's hands are warm. And uh, this is... This is a song about written about Tyrion when he was mm-hmm. hand of the king with all the horrors in his bed. Yeah, yeah, with his secret with his secret whoreshay hidden in King's Landing that he would visit. In the books this song gets snuffed out before it goes public. Uh there's a singer who tries to use it to get leverage to uh, to sing at Joffrey's funeral. Oh. And he meets his and you know a um premature fate we could say. <laughs> You may oh, end damn. up being served up to Flea Bottom in Bowls of Brown. Nice. It's possible. <laughs> but yeah, so it's cool to see the song surface in Game of Thrones. Somehow the song was written in this universe as well. And it's uh, it's gone public at this point. So it, I just think it's a really like sad and beautiful song uh just overall in general and uh it's it's cool to see it make its way onto the show because it was one of the highlights from the book for me for sure nice um yeah it's so aria stops and maisie williams is a big ed sheeran fan right so she'd been begging to try to get him on the show for a while and they finally got him on the show so she gets to go sit next to him and hang out for, for a little bit.
3: He got so much shit for being a Lannister soldier.
2: Oh uh, yeah. People were like, people were mad that they brought Ed Sheeran onto the show too. I, I don't know. I thought that, I thought that was kind of stupid. I thought, I thought it was fine. You know, not knowing who he was, it, it didn't seem problematic to me at all.
3: I didn't really care. I mean, like it it didn't bother me that I was surprised that people had that reaction. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I didn't see what the big deal was like. He made. There's been other musicians that have made cameos in the show. Yeah, quite a so few. I, I I didn't see anything wrong with it.
2: Yeah, I thought it was good. And so he's uh, doing his thing, and Aria sits down, or she Arya says to him, um, "That's a pretty song. I've never heard it before." And the man says, "It's a new one because <laughs> it was written so recently about Tyrion." And she's been gone from the city she's been since. Gone. Yeah, yeah, so she didn't. She wouldn't have heard it. But yeah, just a great song. I've heard a different version of it with a different melody that I that um I recorded an a cappella version of so I'll probably play that during the uh the interlude nice. for this. Cool. Um I like it. Yeah. So so yeah, just a cool song. Good to see it on the show and um you can cover the rest of this if you want to.
3: Um yeah, my number 4 was more her just interacting with Lannister soldiers because she has such a bad taste in her mouth about Lannisters. Yeah. And you can see her wearily looking around. I mean, obviously she's probably in a, you know, precarious situation. She's alone. Um, while she's an accomplished assassin, you know, she's outnumbered. I mean, she is on horseback, but if she were to get off, she's drastically outnumbered. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so they, but they seemed warm, you know, like and welcoming and very
2: much. So offering her food,
3: food. And she's like, Oh, I don't want to steal them. You know, we're offering though, you know, it's, be a cold night and so she's weary she ties her horse off by the tree and yeah
2: i think as she's approaching she knows they're all lannister soldiers and she's planning to kill them all she's sizing them all up and she's just thinking how she's going to accomplish it taking them all i
3: have that in my notes too because it's the way she's like walking it's like wearily and it's very like cautious but with a purpose Mm -hmm. and the way she's scanning them
2: yep scanning them
3: and just kind of deciding where to sit and the interaction really starts right off the bat. You know, like, where are you guys, where are you headed? Are you headed south? And <laughs> she tells them that she's going to King's Landing and they're like, oh, fuck.
2: Like, yeah. This is interesting because we learn that Arya is not heading to Winterfell to see her family. She's going True. straight to business right off the bat. She wants to get rid of Cersei.
3: I don't think she knows that. Maybe she does. I don't think she necessarily knows that they at Winterfell.
2: I bet she knows.
3: You think so? Yeah,
2: I think she's just all, she's just business Arya at this point.
3: Yeah, she's, she's going for her list that she's been reciting.
2: Yeah, all work and no play make Arya a, a dull girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: So... We have a nice dialogue here and they open up to her fairly quickly about, you know, wanting to see the, the, the second man, the, the funny looking guy with the brandy or the blackberry wine, the maker of the blackberry wine.
2: Yeah. He's, mm-hmm.
3: he's like, I always wanted to go to King's landing and see the red keep and see the Sept of Baylor and the dragon pit. He's like, but when I got there, um, i mean the red keep was there the Sept of baylor was blown to hell and yeah. the dragon pit is a damn ruin yeah, and so. the other guy's
2: like and on top of it the whole place just smells like shit and pig's blood like if yeah. you like that yeah. then it's your town you know <laughs> i mean, um and she's noticing that their swords are all stacked over by you know against yeah, this, so this unarmed weird, yeah they're all unarmed and um
3: i noticed that too i also noticed that there's like uh, Lannister lion hilts on the swords. So it's another giveaway that they're Lannister men.
2: Yeah, definitely. Crimson capes too.
3: And, um, I wanted to note about the Lannister armor. So we see here that they don't have the lions on the shoulders. I think, which we talked about last episode that Jamie's did. Um, but when, when we fast forward to Euron Greyjoy in the, um, Red Keep and the Iron Throne Mm -hmm. room. Um, All the Lannister soldiers lining the aisleway have the lions on their shoulders.
2: Oh, maybe those are like like high-ranking officers.
3: Yeah, like a ranking.
2: Yeah, Um, so I just made
3: that note because these little foot soldiers coming to keep the peace with the phrase "whatever happened up at the you know the twins."
2: Yep, they got the regular armor. Not
3: like the regular armor.
2: Not the distinguished lion heads.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So. Um,
2: But they're talking shit about King's Landing here, you know, like talking about how the people would skin you for two coppers.
3: And she can kind of relate because she's been there before, you know, she knows the type of people that are there because she did spend some time there.
2: Yeah. And so like that one guy's like, oh, it's the worst place in the world. And I'm like, yep, Arya agrees wholeheartedly.
3: Yep. And so they're like, so Arya, she's curious now. She's like, so what are you guys doing up here? Like you're kind of a long way from home. And we discover that word has gotten out about the phrase. <laughs> yeah. And when they, when they tell her that, you know, they're, they're up here to keep the peace because something crazy happened at the phrase, they pan in on Aria's face. <laughs> she's like, but Oh, she's com- it just
2: happens that I'm coming from the, f- the twins. <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, but she's completely emotionless. Yep. Like there's not even a flicker of like, Oh damn, I should yeah. be nervous. Like she's confident.
2: Totally. She's like,
3: <laughs> um. So they start sharing the food and they give her guest, right. Essentially. Yeah, I right. Took it. Um, you know, here's some food. We're going to offer you food. And I loved this young man. He goes, well, my mom always told me, you know, if you're going to be, nice to strangers they'll be nice to you yeah
2: always be kind to strangers i thought i love that too that guy like she she's planning on killing them right when she arrives here and all of these Mm -hmm. things that are happening that are preventing that are like making her not want to kill them you know like they're offering her guest right they're they feel the same about king's landing they think the people are shit there and that you know um they're they're talking about being nice to strangers, and strangers will be nice to you. And basically, the God of Death, the Red God, is essentially the, the stranger of the Seven. You know what I mean? That's true. So by yeah. saying like, be kind to the strangers, and strangers will be kind to you, it sort of like applies to Arya being, being kind like to
3: the faceless men.
2: Yeah, she's like sort of like an ambassador of the stranger, you could say. I like that. And so, if you're nice to Arya, you know maybe she'll be nice to you. <laughs> so all these things are just happening that are making them her these these Lannister soldiers be sympathetic to to her, even though they're her enemies. Like, also, she just killed the phrase, right? Yeah. So the fact that they're giving her guest right and offering her food and not showing any sign of betraying her, that sets them apart from the phrase. And it's like, well, you killed the phrase because they they didn't observe guest right, essentially, right? But these people are. So that's another reason why it wouldn't be right to kill them in the way that it was right to kill the phrase.
3: Exact, exactly. I, I, so that harkens back to, you know, her her family getting murdered at the phrase because yeah, yeah. they were offered guest right too. So it's like, I would be like the phrase if I were to kill these people <laughs> right now.
2: Yeah. And then, so she's like, oh, she's feeling conflicted about it. Like there's so many reasons why she doesn't want to kill them now, right? So she starts looking for killable offenses, you know, <laughs> so yeah. she starts asking like, Oh, you like you? I'm sure you guys have been through some stuff since you've been on out here on your military journey. Yeah. Like just looking for some irredeemable actions that they've committed or something. He's
3: talking about a murder or a rape or something that she can yeah.
2: justify. Yeah. 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 I'm looking I, that's why I was interpreting it as she's just like trying to find some, some ammo.
3: She's prying.
2: Yeah. Any reason she can to kill all these people, you know?
3: And, and then, it's so cute because he's like, Well, you know, not really. We, we're just, you know, <laughs> we're basically just up here doing our thing. And yeah, um, it's been kind of boring. And he goes, The truth is,
2: we just want to go home.
3: Yeah. When we left home, we couldn't wait to get away. But now we've been gone a while. We can't wait to get home.
2: Yeah. Kind of like Danny coming home later this episode.
3: Yeah. And Sansa echoes this a couple episodes ago about wanting to get the hell out of Winterfell and wishing that she could never leave right. now that she's older. We get it with Danny this episode coming home.
2: Great, good call. Oh man, yeah. Cassanza, what did she say? Like when I was I thought about things that I wanted and didn't think about the things that I had or something when, exactly. she, when she was still at Winterfell. Yeah. Good point.
3: Yeah. So um and then we we discover that this guy, he just like wants to go back to his dad on their boat. And he's sad that his dad's alone. And it's like, damn, like these are actually like really nice people. Like how can you be Lannister soldiers? Like you're supposed to be (laughs)
4: assholes. Yeah.
2: And one Um, guy's wife just had a baby. And
3: it's like, oh, damn. And she's like, is it a boy or a girl? And he's like, do you think we get ravens out here?
2: yeah, Yeah, it's so funny. And the fact that she even asks shows that she's already forming connections with these people. If she was like really, really like... Wanting to stay disconnected and cold and killing them all, you know, like keep maintaining that attitude, she probably wouldn't be asking questions like this, right? And just the fact that these guys are out here fighting this war, but they just want to get home to their families, it kind of reminds her that she's out here fighting this war. She's going to King's Landing right now, heading south to fight Cersei, to to, to kill her. And she's realizing now that she has a family at home waiting for her too, and maybe she should go home instead.
3: Exactly he goes i have no idea but i hope it's a girl and she's like why what? like yeah. why would you want a girl and very he goes,
2: uncommon attitude for westeros
3: because you know the girls take care of the papas when they get old the the boys just go off to fight in other people's
2: wars i was yep. like oh damn yeah someone else's wars." further confirmation that their hearts aren't in this you know that they're like that they aren't like guilty parties malevolent forces in this war necessarily
3: know they're just following kind of what they're told to do yeah, they're it's, constri- they're, but they're conscripts. nice people
4: yeah
3: and um the blackberry wine guy he's like are you old enough to drink <laughs> and Ari's is like yeah i'm not you know probably
4: Fuck it <laughs> um
3: and she takes a big swig of it in her face you can tell it's really good you know and they all kind of chuckle and he goes, it's blackberry wine. I made it myself. Mm. Oh man, I love blackberry wine. I don't know if I've
2: ever had it. it sounds delicious though. I love blackberries. Uh,
3: so I went to school in Oregon up in the Pacific Northwest and right. they have the best blackberries in the summer.
2: Nice. Yeah. I got and them grown around my house too. Raspberries and blackberries.
3: Yeah. Oh, damn. They, nothing beats them in Oregon. They grow wild. It's like, I don't know. It's just the right amount of sun. It's just the right amount of cool and warm. Mm. They are so sweet. There's nothing like them. And I mean, I live in California. Like we have great produce here right, right. and I, I cannot eat blackberries down here at all. Damn. I was totally spoiled. And so a lot of my friends would make blackberry wine or, you know, sometimes like little pubs or little small breweries would make blackberry wine and I gotta sell find it.
2: some blackberry wine damn
3: fucking good <laughs> it's really good and she's like damn it's really good and they finally ask her well why are you going down to king's landing like oh, why would you want to go down there damn. and she takes another big swig which i thought was funny because confidence you know, builder. she took a very small piece of um I don't know what was it like rodent or squirrel or something and casts it. But she takes, she only takes one bite of the food and takes two swigs of the wine. (laughs) Very
2: hound of her.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she ponders for a second. And I wanted to know what you thought about this. Cause she goes, I'm going to kill the queen. Like, why would she say that? Yeah. To that.
2: Good question.
3: and I love that they all start laughing and she kind of like laughs along with them. But I was curious. like,
2: Yeah. First they all like, first they all fall silent. You know? yeah. like, <laughs> like look amongst things. themselves a little bit.
3: Yeah. It's really awkward. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so good.
3: Yeah. So I love the first guy that starts cracking up the, the new father. Oh like, yeah. 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 His face is so funny. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like you're funny. I thought all like, these
2: guys were cast pretty well.
3: I do too. Really sympathetic I she ran, people. She ran here.
2: Yeah, yeah, me too.
3: I thought he was good. I I had no problem with him being in this scene. In fact, it was kind of a funny, like random. Oh, hey, I know that guy.
2: Yeah. Oh man. So the 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 thing about this line, right, is I'm going to kill the queen. That's a sort of like an uncomfortable truth, you know, that it's true.
3: I think Arya is going to kill Cersei in season eight. I think this is still going to ring true.
2: That would make sense. That would be really cool. But think, think about this: when she just killed the phrase, she she started saying some uncomfortable truths right before she killed all the phrase as well. So Damn. it's entirely possible that after she said this, and all they all started laughing. A couple of seconds later, she drew needle and like just started stabbing all of them to death or something like that.
4: Oh, it's
2: entirely possible that she still did kill all these guys, these mm-hmm. poor fucks after this. What do you think?
3: I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, but I can see where you're going with it. Um, if she did, then I would be extremely concerned for her soul.
2: Yeah, totally. Totally. It's pretty bugged out, though. Like, what's the point it in saying is. that? And if you're like, that's like testing to see if anybody's going to react and draw, you know, and she's think, like ready to I draw. Think maybe
3: that's why she let them go, because no one draw. No one like took her seriously. And so she just was like, OK, if they would have stood up, then she would have killed them all. But it was almost like she flipped a coin.
2: She gave them the chance there to decide their yeah. own fate. Like, do you yeah, want to fight or do you want to? Cool. <laughs> I like that. That's cool.
4: Yeah, because
2: yeah, cool. uh, that's, you know, just I always wonder, like, did she kill him? Uh, we'll have to keep an eye out in season eight and see if we see any of those guys again.
3: Maybe Ed Sheeran will come back.
2: Yeah. And then in that case, we'll know, wow, she let him live. Interesting.
3: <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. I yeah. doubt we'll see them, but. Yeah, me too. It'd be cool. So that is my number four. Do you have anything else you want to add?
2: That pretty much covers that, I think. Yeah. Cool.
3: Why don't we do your number three next, since we just did my number four and your number four?
2: Alrighty, sounds good to me. My number three is Samuel Tarley. Oh, Sam! Sam, yeah. are we
3: talking the shit um, shit scenes or the
2: driving Glass? Let's see. Is he in your top five at all?
3: No, he's not in my top five. So, do you just want to cover all of Sam? Sure. Okay. I'm down
2: with that. Sounds cool. So what's the first thing that we see? So
3: the montage.
2: Oh yeah, the montage, the right? The shit scene. Oh my God, this is so funny, right? <laughs> <laughs> Scrap, scrape, scrape, scrape. Uh, drip, drip, drip. Sh- Plop.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> those are the best parts where you like, like starts <laughs> to, yeah, I love those ones. Man, oh, how brutal, oh huh?
4: Ooh
3: damn oh man it
2: starts off like fairly tame with him just like collecting some piss pots and bedpans and stuff and I'm like, oh, man, as soon as I see that, I'm like, oh, we're to It's in. We're in for a gross montage.
4: It just
3: went on way, way, way too long. Yeah, it I just, remember looking at Dave and I've been like, is this scene ever going to end? Because it's fucking
2: gross. It's hilarious. Like,
4: there's so no funny. reason
2: for it. It's almost like how sometimes I'll just like do fucked up funny stuff, for like weird random editing, like how the, at the end of the other episode, I was just like, I had us both going like, Aria, 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 Aria. Aria.
4: Yeah, Yeah.
2: you know like this is that kind of thing like that where these directors were just like let's make some fucking gross montages yeah let's make a really gross montage
3: it was probably all his like scenes that he took you know and they they loved little bits of it and they just decided to put it all together yeah
2: it's so funny the food and barf like first we're seeing like bedpans then we're seeing like bowls of food and then we're just like they're being interchanged so rapidly that you can't tell the difference anymore between the barf and the poo and the food oh my god and like, what and do you food. eat and what came out of you and it's just like oh uh.
3: and sam's looking at the food knowing that it's gonna come <laughs> out later yeah. in the oh
2: man it's so and they're kind of
3: served like out of the same looking dishes too yeah like-
2: uh Oh fuck. It's great.
3: <laughs> it's so his funny. Montage. Yep. I don't really want to spend too much time on this because it's fucking gross. Yeah,
2: that that's it. We covered <laughs> it. So okay, cool. <laughs> during like that whole thing, he's seeing like this forbidden area in the, the Citadel library. It's calling to his soul. Yes, it is. It's calling out so much. Come, come see me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And um it's just amazing to me how quickly this whole plot line progresses at the Citadel here. Very so like, nice. yeah, he he's high in this area and then he hears somebody coming and he like, Oh, goes and pretends to be looking at the books as an, and pretends to be occupied as a maester approaches and goes in the locked area. Nice. So he kind of shuffles away and next it cuts to him helping a maester perform an autopsy. Ew, this is so gross. And it's maester Marwin.
3: The drinker.
2: Yeah, this guy is um, potentially a really important character in the books.
4: Oh, really? Yeah, he's
2: an interesting character who is a maester. And typically, traditionally, you know, the maesters um, frown upon magic and they don't like the dragons and they are very clinical and scientific and they sort of um, sterile, yeah. They disavow like religion and mysticism and stuff like that. Maester Marwyn is an exception to that rule. They call him Mage Marwyn oh, because he nice. spent a yeah he spent a good amount of time traveling um, Essos and studying magic and stuff like that. So he's one of the few masters in existence that spent the time to forge um, a link in his chain representing his study of magic. Most masters never are able to complete that. I think it's a Valyrian steel link for magic or something.
3: I think I remember him vaguely in the books. Yes. Yes. I, I I vaguely remember reading something about that, the magic chain.
2: Nice. Yeah. So he's a really cool character and is going to play an important role in the future of the books, I think. Um, So we get to see some certain characteristics of him, familiar characteristics here in this scene. He's uh, he's doing an autopsy on this dead guy. Right. And um, speaking of cocks. Now we can add dead, dead dicks to the list of um, type of yeah. dicks, that, yeah. you know, hmm. since, since you said speaking of cocks either, <laughs> a couple episodes ago. Dead
3: old wrinkled cocks.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that's happening. <laughs> and <laughs> he's pulling out all these organs and passing them to Sam to weigh them. And all Sam is trying to do it, Is get access to the um, to the locked off area. So he's like, "Master, yeah." (laughs) I was wondering (laughs) (laughs) um, if you'd considered my proposition. And he's like, oh, I don't remember remember any propositions." And he so he's asking for access to the restricted area. And he's the such a clinical response from the maester. Right, this that area is reserved for maesters. Are you a maester? No. No. <laughs> You're right. It's, that settles that basically.
3: Here's his heart by the way. I'm just going to flop yeah, it in here. Yeah, here you hands.
2: go. Take this heart, please and weigh it. Um so Sam brings up how he's seen the army of the dead with respect. You know, he's he's seen these these horrible please, things. Like yeah. I should be
3: doing you know something to stop it.
2: Right. I, that's my purpose. That's why I've been sent here is to learn what I need to know to Not, stop like, this.
3: Not like weigh massive livers and clean out shit pots.
2: Yeah. And so he's like, he's like nobody in the Citadel that I've talked to even believes me or believes that the white walkers ever existed at all. It's like, he's like, I just need access to the, you know, like, believe me, you got to believe me, please. (laughs) And uh, so Marwin is like, it's their job to doubt everything. That's what maesters do. They're skeptics. They're cynics. They don't believe in magic or any of that type of stuff. Like Marwin is all too familiar with this this phenomenon with the maesters and their attitudes, right? But Marwin, he's, he can see something going on here. He's like, but from all the tales of the long night, you know, it can't be pure fabrication.
3: Some of it has to be truth. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Too many similarities from too many unconnected sources. And in that respect, it's sort of like the tale of the flood, um, the great flood in that's told of in like, the, in christianity oh, like, and like yeah Noah's indigenous Ark tribes and, down in like yeah. the you know the aborigines and stuff e- everybody talks about the flood so it seems that there was some type of flood uh, at some point so this is kind of like that the white walkers you know too many similarities from all these unconnected sources that points to some type of reality uh with with this type of situation so sam's like ooh, sources um sources with information in the restricted area. (laughs) And he's like, yeah. And I like Marwin's logic here. He sort of applies Occam's razor. That's like the simplest solution is the best solution. Right. And so, so Marwin is thinking about the simplest explanation for this. He's like the simplest explanation for your like total obsession with white walkers is that you're telling the truth and you saw what you say you saw right so he's like that's like that's the thing that makes the most sense basically so sam's like oh my god so you 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 believe me <laughs> and he's like i do i believe you yeah i do uh but finish weighing that heart right <laughs> and so he's still not going to let him in unfortunately but he uh he they go on to talk a little bit and sam's like oh that makes you the only person like in this whole you know, south of the, the, the North basically that believes what I'm telling you. And he's like, Maesters, Marwin's like, Maesters aren't like anybody. They're not like people from the North. They're not like people from the South at the Citadel. We live, we live for a different purpose. And he's like, we're the memory of the world, Samuel Tarley, which is kind of interesting, a way to look at it, right? The Citadel is like this massive brain and like this archive of the history and everything. And they're working to preserve it. And he's like, without us, men would be little better than dogs. And I was—I thought that was an interesting line that didn't really ring true to the Mage Marwin character for me. I thought this was more of a typical um, Maester style attitude, where like the Maesters have like they kind of have this holier than thou way about them that I'm sure you've heard about that, right? You know, like the Maesters, yeah. yeah, You know, um, thinking that they know more than people from different faiths or different like magic like you know like uh like poo-pooing on magic maester mm-hmm. lewin for instance in season one saying that the white walkers never existed type stuff so yeah i didn't think that line was totally true to the marwin character but you know i could be wrong i, I could see him okay. saying that others felt that way though that the, that was like the attitude of the maesters but sure. you can tell that uh that mage is more open to the mystical side of things as he is the only one that is willing to take sam at his word it shows that he has more of an open mind than some of the other maesters um, or people at the citadel in general so i did like that and getting to see maester marwin and his sort of difference in attitude compared to the typical maester cool yeah, totally.
3: I vaguely remember him from the books.
2: Yeah, he's he's more he's mentioned a few times a little earlier on but he he shows up like way later, you know. Mm. But he he's skeptical of the long night though, of of the return of that cuz he's saying basically you know, every winter that's ever came has always ended and yeah. And the wall has stood through it all. And I'm like, Oh, here we are in episode one of season seven. Yeah. Season seven, episode one, foreshadowing the fall of the wall in episode seven.
4: By mentioning it
2: always standing, you know? (laughs) Damn. Uh, Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Good timing for that. Foreshadowing the, the fall of the wall.
3: And I like how he just like closes his book and looks at the, corpse and he's like be a good lad and clean this up and he's yep. like seriously
2: <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of stands there staring at the body dead guy Ugh, yeah he's sort of doing like aria style stuff because that's like what she was doing at the house of black and white like you working
3: know? from within yeah <laughs> an inside job
2: <laughs> yeah yeah so so sam uh does that you know he, he deals with that that situation, I'm assuming. But he, he creeps in to uh, the sleeping maester's chamber and steals a key, like, ring of keys dun, dun, that's sitting dun. there. Dun, dun, dun. And I'm thinking, wow, like the story is really moving quickly. Like two seasons ago, we would have learned that Sam wanted to go into the room and then like a couple episodes later, he would get into the room. You know what I mean? In Definitely. this And yeah, in such a short span of time here, we learn that he wants to get into the locked area. He manages to steal the key and go in and steal a bunch of books. He's he's turning into quite a kleptomaniac.
4: Samuel Tarly is
2: stealing (laughs) swords and books and like valuable rare objects. He's like Neil Caffrey or something. Uh, From uh, White Collar. Good show. But uh He's like a like a like an art thief or something, like stealing museum oh, pieces yeah. and stuff. So, <laughs> you know. um, but it, the real reason, obviously, is he's he knows too much is at stake at this point, and he doesn't have any time to mess around. He doesn't have gotta, a
3: choice. He feels like he doesn't have a choice. Under different circumstances, he wouldn't have done it.
2: Right. He's just got to get in there. So next time we come back to him... And it's him chilling at a table with Gilly and he's reading some of these old ancient books that he's gotten. And uh, I liked this little interaction that they have right off the bat here. Um, Gilly's like, you really should sleep, Sam. And he's like, the dead I'll don't. i
4: sleep when I'm dead.
2: Yeah, it sort of subverts the trope of saying I'll sleep when I'm dead. He he mentions the dead don't sleep, which <laughs> mm-hmm. which I loved. Referencing the undead army, of course, and also a uh, really cool way of upturning that that quote so he's uh he's reading and she brings a book over too and starts reading it and Sam is flipping through the pages of this book and one of the pages has a diagram of the cat's paw dagger on it.
3: I th- I, th- I have that in my notes. Yeah. I said, is that the cat's paw dagger?
2: Totally is. So there's obviously some type of significance to this blade where it's like mentioned in books. There's got to be some type of like mythical, like legendary history to it or something like that. And, and what
3: Littlefinger little doing with it?
2: Good question. Considering the next page relates to Dragonstone, um it could be and it and that the hilt of this this um could it be Dark um, Sister
3: or what would take the place of Dark Sister in the show?
2: Oh, maybe. That's an interesting option. I hadn't considered that. That I, I do think that, that the dagger does take the place of Dark Sister on the show, but it, this could be a more like a direct reference to that, interestingly. Um, but considering that the hilt is made of dragon bone and that the next page of the book is about dragon stone, um, maybe this dagger has some sort of connection with the Targaryen. History and lineage. Oh,
3: interesting! Yeah, uh, makes which, sense.
2: Yeah, makes me just kind of wondering about the the history of this blade. So he turns uh, the page to a, the map of Dragonstone and mentions that this is the place where the first Targaryens that invaded I- invaded. He says Westeros built their stronghold. So after Danny the Dreamer, Danny's Targaryen of old had a vision of of Valyria falling. Basically, she convinced her family and the Lord of the Targaryen house, which was one of the weaker Valyrian houses to flee Valyria to Westeros. And they landed at Dragonstone and built, built the the castle there. And so um, a few generations later, that's where Aegon launched his, uh, his conquest from essentially. So it's, it's, it's cool. We're getting this hint that this dagger is important in history. We're getting some information about Dragonstone, which is where we're going to end up later in the episode um we get a little bit of history about it and learn its significance early on here um and it's what a beautiful castle too dragonstone it's oh, just amazing totally yeah so here we we get the most important piece of information about dragonstone that we know of thus far which is that it's basically built on top of a giant mountain of dragon glass as stannis had told sam which he um, points out. Yeah, a couple seasons ago at Castle Black. And he, at the time, he just didn't recognize the significance of it, apparently. But he realizes how important that is now. He met, tells Gilly, we need to write to John immediately, right? And he grabs a quill and begins scribbling. And I'm like, yes, this is key. This is important, you know, getting word. And we do see John takes it seriously and they go south and begin mining at Dragonstone coming up. So it's cool. I love how receptive Danny is to John and his message as well. And just the way that that develops is kind of cool. So our last scene with Sam cuts down to the quarantine cells in old town.
4: Oh yeah.
2: At the Citadel. And um, Sam is moving along, picking the friend up. friend zone. Yeah. <laughs> the, friend- <laughs> the quarantine zones, the friend zone. Yes.
3: The friend zone.
2: Yes. Uh, So he so Sam is he's pushing a cart, picking up empty bowls of like food from these quarantine cells, basically. And there's one sitting on top of like the little window midway up the door that's open. And there's like a little surface there platform and the bowl is sitting there. So he walks over to it and begins to grab the bowl and a scaly arm reaches out of the darkness and tries to grasp at him.
3: I remember jumping at that yeah. i was yeah. not expecting that at all
2: right big jump scare moment that got a lot of people for sure so he uh he jumps back and is terrified at this like grotesque arm sticking out with like big huge patches of grayscale and all over it now it we looks see bad. that,
3: and we know immediately who it is
2: yeah we get the, the great silhouette and his very unique voice
3: voice yeah i knew by his voice
2: mm-hmm. has she come yet? And Sam's like, "Who? The Dragon Queen, Daenerys Stormborn." And and Sam is just like, "I haven't I heard anything." Haven't heard anything. <laughs> so funny, Jorah is just so badass. Um, and like he's asking, "Has she come yet to Westeros?" Which is reminding us of what's about to happen in like next scene as Danny arrives. You know, uh. so much fun. And so, uh, Jorah pulls his hand back in and we get this, the silhouette shot of the side of him and you can see like the grayscale, like, like looks like on his face, even a little bit, like little bits of stuff around his eyes and everything. And, uh, it's just epic as we get the reveal that Jorah is in Westeros now at the, at the citadel seeking treatment. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) nuts, man.
3: He's made it to the citadel.
2: Yeah, he got his pardon, so he's welcome back in Westeros. And uh, yeah, it's going to be wild to see Sam go at that grayscale again.
4: Ugh, I forgot about that.
2: I realized as I was watching this that I haven't seen Season 7 since it aired. Really? Yeah.
3: Oh, damn. Basically.
2: So, yeah, it's been a while for me uh, for Season 7, interestingly. Wow. Yeah.
3: Well, that's this is going to be fun then.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love it. So... Really epic. And that finishes off all the Sam stuff for this episode, I believe. Good old
3: Samwell.
2: Anything else you want to add about Sam in general?
3: Um, No, I am excited to see his role that he's going to play in season eight.
2: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. He's got a lot of um, important stuff either to do or that he has. He's got the sword, the Valyrian steel blade, heartsbane. He's got key information. He's got knowledge about John and, being, and a being a Targaryen. Yeah, which is going to be key next uh, season as John learns the learns the truth. Oh fuck!
3: I can't wait till he
2: finds out. Oh my god! I know. I'm like on pins and needles. <laughs> it's He's gonna it's be insane. so
3: legit.
2: going to be so legit. He's
3: gonna lose his mind.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna. Oh man! I hope it doesn't drive him and Danny apart from each other.
3: I don't think so. I mean. Maybe like relationship-wise, but it might bring them closer together in a weird way. Maybe. Not sexually. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Oh, man. We have incest on the show. I wouldn't put it
2: past. Right. They're like, deep down, I, we've always just had a thing for incest. Both of, <laughs> both of them.
3: <laughs> we are Targaryens, after all. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hilarious.
3: I don't see that happening, but I think, I, I don't think, there's going to be a certain awkwardness. For a, a while, a little bit.
2: Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> quite possibly.
3: Although they're not like really in the wrong, they don't know, right?
2: You know? Yeah, they're just they just fell in love. What can they do? You know,
3: they're the same age essentially. They're close in age, and how would she know that she is his
2: aunt? Yeah, only by the dragons accepting him and letting them touch them. Basically, that's true.
3: <laughs> So that means Tyrion's related too, because he's touched a dragon as well.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, that for sure. That yeah, that means it definitively proven. <laughs> and
4: he's
3: we we kind of discussed this last episode that Tyrion might be falling in love with Danny or yes. uh, you know, trying to position himself to be the suitor for her. That
2: could put um and we saw him maneuver Dario out of the way. That could put uh-huh. John in a dangerous position if Tyrion turns against John. I don't think
3: I don't think Tyrion will hurt John though. I hope not. I think he'll try to maybe like manipulate the situation a little bit, especially when they find out that they're related. But if Tyrion is really a Targaryen too, he's technically related to Danny as well. So you have all that. Right. They would be half siblings, half brothers. Oh, how about
2: this? We'll get a total reversal of Aegon the Conqueror. And instead of Aegon with his two sister wives, we'll have Danny with his, her, her, her two um, <laughs> like husbands. Yes, because women are
3: ruling Westeros. Yeah,
2: so <laughs> Danny will take both John and Tyrion as her cousin, uncle husbands. <laughs> yeah, cousin nephew husbands or whatever, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, whatever they are.
3: Like reverse polygamy.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, damn. That would make. Tyrion would be her her brother and John, half-brother yeah and John, yeah and John would be her nephew, nephew. so her brother-nephew husbands
3: <laughs> oh damn that's really weird
2: <laughs> yeah totally it reminds me of that scene with Olenna where she's talking with yeah, Cersei yeah it makes my head hurt yeah she's like you'll <laughs> <He'll> be his <laughs> grandmother's mother's cousin's daughter's <laughs> sister <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so brutal <laughs> And oh, she's your damn. sister, but also your husband's Nephew? brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's bugged out. Nice. So, yeah, that's it for uh, Samwell. How about we move on to your number three?
3: My number three is the map that Cersei is drawing on the floor so she can stand on it.
2: Nice.
3: And claim it as her own.
2: I'm just going to say right now, I, I predict this is where Cersei will die.
3: I, okay. So did you notice that we get a couple aerial shots and Cersei walks in? Okay. Funny side note. The guy painting is the director who directed oh, really? this episode.
2: Nice. Yes. That's cool.
3: Um, So he did a cameo and goddamn, like I wrote that. his name down, but I don't have my phone by me. So um, I'll grab my phone.
2: I got mine out too. Oh, oh okay. director Jeremy Podeswa
3: okay jeremy Padesla. um so cersei walks in to look at her mural and she stands at the neck
2: yes she does
3: and then cue jamie and jamie stands out by the fingers the
2: fingers
3: could that be a foreshadow of him killing Cersei by strangulation?
2: Jamie's fingers going to Cersei's neck. <laughs> yeah, it's possible.
3: So I just found that they showed it a couple times. Yeah, that's
2: a big fan theory that's been going around for a while. After this oh, aired, really? that okay. was like a and huge speculation.
3: There's another shot of Jamie standing on the neck, mm. and oh fuck, I can't remember where Cersei was standing when. I don't, maybe she wasn't even in that shot, um, so I thought that was kind of interesting too. Mm. Like, what if he gets like beheaded?
2: Oh man, that would suck.
3: <laughs> yeah, so we see Cersei without her children for the first time. Yeah, and she's crazy. Yeah, she's so crazy. She's very power struck at the moment.
4: Absolutely.
3: she uh, wants this dynasty and he's like for who yeah our fucking kids are dead she's like for us then like it doesn't matter who it's for i just want to i just want to have it all
2: yeah and this is like madness jamie's like what are you talking about like you're losing your mind here
3: and she goes you've been quiet since you came home are you angry he goes no i'm not angry and she goes are you afraid of me and he like looks around he's like uh should i be afraid yeah, of you like, you, like yeah. that's a
2: weird you thing to ask kill me all of our enemies yeah it is a really weird thing to ask and what what was your interpretation he's not angry he says what do you think he is what what do you think he's feeling
3: i think he's concerned
2: yeah, I think he's concerned. I also think he just is confused. He doesn't understand her anymore.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, she's like, I don't know.
2: Should I be afraid of you? Like, I don't know what to think anymore. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, she's totally a different person at this point. Um, he's like, who are you? He's like, like like that Alice in Wonderland. Who
4: are you? Who are you? <laughs> who
2: are you? <laughs> That's what I have written down. What was that? What's his that character called?
3: Um, I just called, I call him like the little cat, like the little puffy caterpillar.
2: Caterpillar. Yes.
3: The smoking caterpillar with the
2: hookah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy is cool.
4: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. So I thought that was just kind of funny.
4: Well, uh- Who
2: are you? That's what Jamie is wondering about, Cersei. Who is this bitch? Who are you?
3: So, our wretched little brother has become the the hand of the queen to Daenerys Stormborn. They're sailing for Westeros, mind you. Um, the one that you said, yeah, I remember yeah. him, the one that murdered our father and our son. Yeah. yeah. He stands besides our enemies now and gives them counsel. And this has to be very concerning for them because he knows their inner workings. He's a Lannister.
2: Yeah, totally. And she is so mad about this too. She is pissed.
3: You know, like, where do you think they're going to land? And I love when Jamie says, he goes,
2: Dragonstone. stone.
3: I yep. love the way he says it. It always sticks with me. He
2: knows like immediately.
3: They have the deep water for the ships.
2: The castle is vacant. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Stannis left the castle unoccupied, so it's just sitting there empty just for (sighs) Danny to walk right up and take it back.
3: That's fucking crazy. How come no one else has taken this castle?
2: Good question. I mean, maybe he left like a skeleton army to like just a small group of people to... Keep the gates <laughs> locked or something. I mean, it's on an island, you know, so it's just kind of hard for the average person to go to. to like, go get, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. true.
3: That's true. Yeah. The Iron Islands and Dragonstone are going to be safe from the White Walkers.
2: Yeah, yeah. Bear Island also by that. Oh, logic. And Bear
3: Island. Yep, 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 yep. Totally. So. Oh, standing Andy on he mentions
2: the map. he also mentions that that's where Daenerys is born. Oh, yeah. So it's that's natural for her born. to return there. And I'm like, yeah, Danny's coming home.
3: She's going to Dragonstone. So She's out sick. of marine.
2: Oh man. Um, she goes enemies
3: to the east. She starts walking to the south. Enemies to the south, Illyrio yep. Sand and her brood of bitches. Yeah. High Garden to the west.
2: Olenna, the old, old cunt. cunt. <laughs> Just like we're
3: fucking surrounded, and we have enemies to the north too. Oh, by the way, the bastard of Winterfell is now
2: king in the north. Yeah, and in uh, that murdering whore Sansa stands behind beside him. And I loved <laughs> like just how venomous she is here. That Ned Stark's bastard. Yeah, you know, she and...
3: she has no filter anymore. She lost her tie to reality. Yeah, when exactly. himself.
2: She's she completely has, unmoored now.
3: She's she's gone.
2: Yep, she's gone. Mm-hmm. It's fucked up. She's just a shell of. She's going to be on a rampage.
3: She's fucking crazy.
2: Yep. Totally. This is
3: our first hint at that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's just going to get worse and worse and worse.
2: It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Oh man. And she, she's so mad at Sansa too. She's also
3: cocky too. She's like, there's enemies everywhere. We're surrounded by traitors, but then she turns around and she's like, you know, like we don't really have much to worry about.
2: Jamie's like she's like you. Oh, you're in command of the army. Like, what do you want to do? How do we proceed? And I like this kid too. So earlier, really, earlier we got the uh, we got John saying winter is here to the the northern lords, and then Jamie is saying winter is here now to Cersei. So it's interesting. It may be foreshadowing a connection with Jamie and the Starks. Could be showing how he turns
3: future alliance. Yeah, turns. Yeah, Gawk the reason and why runs. I said she doesn't really like seem to have like a care is because um she says i'm the queen of the seven kingdoms and jamie is like uh three yeah it's like best.
2: three yeah like i don't think you fully understand like how you much just danger got done
3: like listing off all of our enemies and we're alone yeah we're all by ourselves we have no allies
2: yeah and this is when she like brings up that like ridiculous dynasty talk
3: it's like what are you talking dynasty about we don't have years. any spawn yeah like, they're all dead
2: <laughs> yeah i shouldn't be laughing it's so fucked up
3: it it is so fucked up, but it's almost comical, like how delusional she is.
2: Yeah, and she we get to see just how callous she is too. And Jamie, like this brings this is when Jamie, like he's like, you know, our children are dead. We're the last of us. He, he says we never talked about Tom, and, and she just like shuts him down he goes entirely. To yeah, she grabs a drink and she's like, "There's nothing to say." And Jamie's like trying to like like get real. Make he's like, he's something. like, yeah, like our baby boy killed himself you know and she's like starts talking shit she's like he betrayed, he betrayed me. me he betrayed like, us like, oh my both God. and Jamie kind of like huh, like he's sort of taken aback by this and like shakes his head a little and like retracts like recoils a little
3: yeah and she's like crazy uh, talk.
2: yeah she's like she's like should we spend the day like all of our days mourning all the dead you know mother father all of our children and I was just like damn she's as Ugh. cold as ice you know, the ice queen, as cold as ice. Yeah, makes sense if she joins up with the Night King. <laughs> it's oh, really would be the Ice Queen, huh? Personified. He's
3: found his mate. He's
2: yeah. gonna drive
3: a dragon glass shard through her heart.
2: Yeah, and talk about Cersei and Sansa parallels. She's like, I loved them. I did. But they're ashes now, and we're still flesh and blood. We're we're the last Lannisters, the last ones. Basically, who count. like we
3: have to be smart.
2: Yeah, and that's exactly what what Sansa said to 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 John earlier. Jon. She's like, "You need to be better than him." She's like, "Listen, I loved them. I loved Ned Dad, and I loved Rob, but." They're they dead, hard. you They're know, dead. and uh, they made mistakes, she said. And so it's the same thing here. I love them. I did. But the same thing from both of these uh, from Cersei and Sansa. And it's interesting, too, because John said, oh, no, father said that anything that comes before the word but is horse shit. Right. But in these in this cases, it's not like Sansa did love Rob and did love Ned and mm-hmm. Cersei did love their family. Um, which she says before, but so it just shows that that's not true a hundred percent of the time. That you know, sometimes things before but are true, right?
4: Totally.
2: So this is when Jamie mentions that like we they're not going to be able to survive without allies, and he's like, "You saw what happened to Walder Frey and his family. Whoever killed them is no friend of ours, right?" And I thought this was interesting because we see that word about the phrase the 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 mysterious destruction of House Frey is spread and it he's like, whoever killed them. So it seems like the the girl who survived didn't rat out Arya or something. Like word has not spread I don't
3: think she knew who he was.
2: Who she was, yeah. Because well, Arya did say you left one wolf alive. You know, one wolf alive.
3: I think she was probably really stunned and didn't
2: didn't pick up on the the pick symbolism. up on the
3: Stark reference at all. You know.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I it's Maybe. I think she did. She, How could you not, right? Because she knows what the red wedding is. She knows that Arya sure. Stark is missing. Um, but then again, True. Arya Stark is presumed dead, so it would be kind of yeah. weird for a girl to show up. A girl. Uh, so I just thought that was great. Jamie's like, whoever killed them is no friend of ours. And I was like, (laughs) Arya! Like, holy shit. She's Uh, coming for you. Yeah, and she is no friend of Cersei's, that's for sure. She's coming for you. Lennox, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you, Lennox. Yeah. Mike Tyson. And uh, (laughs) yeah, that was just kind of cool. He's like, we need allies, stronger, better allies. We can't win this war alone. Yeah. And uh, Cersei's like, what? You think I listened to father for 40 years and learned nothing? And that's when I'm like, oh shit, she's bringing in the Greyjoys.
3: Oh, damn. Fucking you're on Greyjoy.
2: Yeah. Son of a bastard. Um, anything else you want to add for your number three? Was that? No, it? I was yeah, Talking I was my number three. Or... I'm just
3: scanning the rest of my notes. I don't think I have anything else on the scene. All right. What's he well, your number three. Have we gone over your number three?
2: Yeah, we did my number three already. Okay. Oh uh, oh I forgot to mention as we as we the scene starts out with Cersei here as she's standing on the map, the reigns of Castmere are playing.
3: Oh yes. They're so, always playing when Cersei's around. Yeah.
2: yeah I was just thinking that th- it may be hinting that like this is like something about Cersei's demise in this case, I was thinking. The end of the Lannister House. Yeah. Something like that. And Could I think be. I think maybe it's gonna happen on the map. Like Cersei's gonna get killed here where she thinks she's safe. Jamie's
3: going to strangle her on the neck.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah. Totally. In one hand. Yep. So, my number 2 is the beginning of the Hound redemption arc. Okay. And the Hound facing up to his bad deeds and burying the past, would you could say. Nice. So, it cuts to the Riverlands in the snow and they're all riding along, it's Beric and Sandor and Thoros. And uh, as ever, Sandor is a grumpy bastard, basically. Right? Yeah. He's just really hard to get along with. And Thoros is like, "Why are you always in such a foul mood?" And the Hound's like, "Experience," <laughs> which I thought was hilarious.
3: <laughs> he always has like those great like one liners like yeah, that. Totally.
2: Like,
3: you know what kept you going? Hate.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally.
3: Why are you so so foul? Experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's
2: the best. So they they spot the farmhouse in the distance, and immediately I'm like, oh my god, this is the farmhouse the where. Yeah, and they
3: show that family. They show that father and daughter yeah. in the like previously on Game oh, of Thrones. Oh, they did. Yeah,
2: when when yeah. Arya and the Hound were drinking the soup and eating with them and everything stealing, like that, stealing his stealing his silver. his silver and leaving him for dead. Basically, mm-hmm. oh, it's so fucked up. And uh, so they're looking at the farmhouse, and barracks like, "This seems like a good place to spend the night." And Sandor, he's like, "These people don't want us here, you know." And I was just thinking, "Oh, he doesn't want to face the fact that they're dead because they're of dead. him." Yeah, he's just trying to avoid going there because he's uh, he's he knows that he's going to find out the truth, and he's, so he's just trying to claim that they shouldn't bother them them instead, you know. But Beric points out the the obvious truth of the situation. He's like, nobody's "Ah." there. Yeah, it looks deserted. There's no livestock. There's no smoke coming from the chimney. And it's like, oh, the heartbreaking truth. So the
3: Hound knows that the truth is real. That they're dead. He's like,
2: fuck. And it yeah becomes real. And Sandor's like, I don't like the look of it. You know, (laughs) he's just just trying desperately to not go. He's
3: like, are you that afraid?
2: Yeah, and he's not. Oh yeah, It's so funny yeah yeah he's like he's like you know what doesn't scare me bald cocksuckers like you you're not fooling anybody with that top knot bald cunt
4: (laughs) oh my god
2: gotta love the hound that
4: top
5: knot
2: yeah you think you're fooling anyone with that top knot bald cunt bald cunt just like hilarious the way he says it so funny so good and so thoros is like come on Maybe they got some ale hidden away. And Sandor's like, they don't. Because he asked when he was there, right? He was like, what? No fucking ale? Like, what's wrong with you?
3: Nope. And he has some silver hidden from the bandits.
2: Yep. Not so anymore. Uh, yeah. So they come in through the door and Thoros goes to look. He goes to start making a fire and the hound sees this, the two dead skeletons. <laughs> the girl, so the little sad. girl and the old guy. Yeah. So sad. And she's sitting on his lap, and there's you can see a dagger on the ground and like blood and everything. And Barak enters and sees the hound and the way that he's looking at Captain them. Captain
3: obvious, yeah,
2: yeah. And he can like see how upset the hound is about it. And uh, I think he realizes that there's some sort of sort of connection, right? And he's he asks how he thinks that it ended for them. And again, another good one liner with death. Yeah. <laughs> and Barrack like lays out exactly what Sandor did not want to hear. That they were starving, it looks like, and that in order to you know spare his daughter from pain, he killed them both with a knife as they huddled together um in in the corner there, and I think this like kills Sandor inside a little bit <laughs> as he's he like has to go sit down, you know <laughs> he's like, yeah. it doesn't matter now, like like uh, I thought that was sort of a way of saying like. You know, like now there's nothing he can do about it. And like all, as much as he wishes that he could, like now it doesn't matter. Like there's nothing that can be done, um, sadly. So he sits down and starts eating and he has an interesting interaction here with Barak where he's like, you know, we've known each other a long time, right? Don Darian. And Beric's like, ah, yeah.
3: Like, why the fuck are you alive?
2: <laughs> yeah, Beric starts waxing about when the the for how long ago it was when they met and he's like, he cuts him off. He's like, yeah, I always thought you were dull as dirt. <laughs> <laughs> and Beric looks over at Thoros and they share a glance like kind of like, can you believe he talks to us like this? Like, oh my god, we're like friends, but he's just shitting all over us constantly. But it, it, it doesn't upset them. It's like they just have to laugh at how absurd it all is, right? So Beric's Truly. just like laughing and we get as close to a compliment as Sandor's willing to dish out. Basically, here he's like, "You're not bad, though." He's like, "I don't hate you, but I don't like you. You're just
4: you're, you're not bad. There's nothing special yet. about you. You're not
2: bad. Yeah, there's nothing special you, about you." And then uh, Beric's like, "Thanks, I guess." You know that really heartwarming. And this is where I realize where this conversation is going when he says, "Yeah, there's nothing special about you." And he, I realize he's trying to figure out why. Beric keeps getting resurrected and like, what the hell is the deal with that? Right. So you think maybe
3: that's hearkening back to your thought of, um, the Hound being resurrected. Maybe he's trying to make sense of his resurrection.
2: Possibly. Although I don't think that he thinks he's been resurrected.
3: Um, Oh, that's right. You but, said uh, that.
2: But I do think that the Hound trying to figure out why Beric is important and has been resurrected. I think that that hints to my theory that Beric is going to be important for saving the Hound. I think that's his reason that basically Barrick is a placeholder for the Hound, that he's been resurrected repeatedly so that he can be alive. Like he says, the, the Lord of Light wants him alive. I think he just needs to be alive at the right he's moment. He's going to play a
3: crucial piece in the Hound's
2: yeah. story in season yeah. eight. He's just got to be alive at the right moment to either save the Hound or to 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 pass his own life to Sandor to resurrect him, I think, like mm. breathing the flames into into Sandor and extinguishing his own flame.
3: Oh, damn.
2: And dying in the process.
3: That's crazy. Yeah.
2: So that's my prediction of what's going to happen. Beric is going to give his life to resurrect Sandor. We could um,
3: very well see that. I could absolutely see that play out. For right. sure. Cuz
2: this is the thing. Like Sandor's like there's nothing special about you. He's like I I could beat you a 100 times in every fight, you know, and and why why does the lord of light keep bringing you back? I've seen better men than you like hanged from crossbeams, Ray, or beheaded, <laughs> or beheaded, Ned or that just shat themselves to death in a field somewhere. And I'm like, damn, I don't know oh who he's God. talking about there, but that sounds horrible. You know? All the
3: other fuckers that he's probably killed. Yeah,
2: Although I did like, I do think he was referencing Ned Stark when he was taught, like the honorable Ned Stark. Everybody oh, knows sure. a good, good man, Ned Stark beheaded. So I thought that was a cool reference. It seems to indicate that, Sandor, aside from his loyalty to Joffrey and being his dog and Baratheons or whatnot, he does seem to hold Ned in high regard, Truly. which shows that in at deep down, Sandor is probably good too, you know? So he's like, none of these good people came back. Why you? And Beric's like...
3: Don't you think I ask myself that like every second of every day? Exactly. Like, I don't know why he's doing it. What am I supposed to do?
2: What am I like? What is the purpose? What is he seeing me? What am I supposed to do? And I'm like, damn, that's got to be like pressure, like trying to live up to this destiny that you seem to have. Understanding
3: why you're being brought brought so many
2: times. Exactly. And I think that it's going to hit him. He's going to understand why why he's here he's gonna see his moment when he has to save sandor or has to do something with sandor because we learn here that sandor is very significant when it comes to the lord of light and their whole thing because as they're discussing all this um you know barrack's like i don't know what he wants from me sandor's like well if he's so all-powerful why doesn't he tell you what the fuck he wants right and the next line thoros says clegane and I'm like, oh, shit. The Lord of Light wants Clegane. You know, that's what the script says. It's mm-hmm. like, if he's, if he's so powerful, why doesn't he just tell you what he wants? And the next line is Clegane. It reminded me of when Eamon Targaryen is talking about how a Targaryen alone in the world is a horrible thing.
4: And then you cue Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah, and
2: Jon Snow walks right in. So it's a similar type of thing here. Why doesn't the Lord of Light say what he wants? And then, bam, mention of Clegane. So I'm like, dude. This is just signifying that I love that it. He's going to be important, right? So for sure, Thoros is beckoning Sandor over to the fire, and he's. I'm surprised that he goes over at all because he hates fire, and it's like <laughs> it's he, my
3: fucking <laughs> luck. I end up with a band of fire worshippers. Yeah, it's
2: so funny, and I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is lucky indeed because they're like one of these guys is going to keep save you your alive, life, yeah. most likely. Right, and they're putting you on your, on the path that you need to be on. They're like leading you in the direction that you're you need to be going in right barrick says i almost seems like divine justice <laughs> which i thought was funny and he's like ah there's no divine justice you dumb cunt if there was you'd be dead and that girl would be alive and i think that sadly he thinks that if there were divine justice he would he himself would be dead as well Dead, yeah I imagine which is sad you know
3: Sad. super sad
2: so he's like come on the fire won't bite i want to show you something and And the hound walks over and he's like, come on, get closer, man. Like take, take a good look. And he's like, he's like, I don't want to look. Do it. Thoreau says it has a great point. Yeah. He's like, he's like, well, you want to know, you want to know, you saw me bring him back from the dead. Don't you want to know what gave me the power to do that? And Sandor he's like, I keep fucking asking and nobody's willing to tell me. You have to look. Yeah. You You have have to look. look Only the the fire can tell you. Right. And I'm like, so cool. That's so epic. And the whole time Thoros is just like gazing into the flames, sort of seeming like speaking like as if in a trance, almost mesmerized. And so Sandor approaches and looks in and Thoros is like, what do you see? And he's like, fucking logs burning. Like, I don't see shit, dude. And Thoros is like, come on, just relax, just relax. Like take a a deeper look. Just
3: stop being stubborn and actually try to take a look into the flames. just, Just,
2: just look and don't think, you know, basically. And Sandor starts looking and his face starts to, starts to contort. Holy shit. And, and you can tell he's having a vision and he's like, ice, wall of ice, the wall.
4: The wall. And
2: Beric <laughs> seems shocked at this moment and looks over surprised. It seems that the, that the hound is such a powerful conduit that he's, he's being able to have visions. His first try looking into the fire, basically, after having avoided looking at fire for his whole life. Now he's learning that he has this monstrous power to to see through the flames, basically. And I think that Barrick's shock here, as he sees Sandor being given a vision by the Lord of Light, I think it's foreshadowing his his further and future realization that Sandor is a chosen person of the Lord of Light. Yeah, exactly, and that he's going to have to he's going to be there to protect Sandor.
3: What if Sandor Clegane is a zorahai?
2: That would be so cool, man. I love Sandor. I I you know, I just want to see him redeem himself. I I don't necessarily see him surviving. It may cost him his life his redemption. Sure. Sure. But um it's going to be crazy to see what happens with him for sure. He's such a monumental character. So Thor- Thoros is like, "What else do you see?" And he's like, "It's the wall. It's where the wall meets the sea." There's a castle there. And right at that moment, the fire
3: <sighs> East Watch by the sea.
2: Yeah. We know it's Eastwatch. And right at that moment, the fire crackles and shoots out sparks. And, and the,
3: backs away. Yeah.
2: And I was like, Oh, I thought that that foreshadowed the destruction of each Eastwatch by the oh. sea. As we see the whole wall collapse into like blue flames. Dragon and fire. Yeah. Dragon fire and just sh- bits of ice shooting in every direction. This, spark of this fire of the fire at this moment i thought like foreshadowed that destruction and that we see later on um, mm-hmm. which was kind of cool and but Sandor's like there's a mountain looks like an arrowhead the dead are marching past and i'm like oh shit this is that mountain that reminds me of mount Kailash.'
3: Yeah, like the kind of like very pointy, kind of rounded top mountain. Yeah,
2: it's with very the lines pointy top. in it. The lines. Yeah, and it looks like the, the the horizontal lines. It looks just like Mount Kailash, which people which is the mount the home of Shiva, apparently. Oh. And it's like the center of Hinduism. Buddhism, Jainism, and Taoism, I think. Oh, wow. Big, like, religious uh, landmark. The mother of no, mountains. Yeah, no, yeah, basically. No human has ever ascended Mount Kailash, and it's, oh, like, off limits. And there, uh, people say that when you get close to it, your fingernails start and hair start growing at, like, a rapid pace, like there's, like, some uh, crazy radiation coming from the mountain or something like that.
3: Oh my God. And people speculate the
2: top is covered in snow, but it looks like a pyramid. It looks like Mm. an artificially created pyramid. And it like the, the base of the mountain, it's all like scooped out all around it. Like it's like the whole site looks like artificially worked. It's really bizarre. But uh, Sandor sees this mountain and the dead mounting past it. Thousands of them. And I'm like, Oh man, Sandor is seeing the truth here and seeing like, the purpose and the mission and he's being led in on like the big picture basically and seeing his place as he it's, it's all unfolding. And um, he sees the same vision that Bran sees earlier in the episode, the army coming South. Right. So I'm like, God damn, yes. like, this is crazy. And Barrick at this point's like, do you believe me now? Clegane, do you believe we're here for a reason? And I'm like, dude, Sandor is here for a reason. That is what we're going to see. It's gonna be so intense. So good. So yep. it cuts next to this scene with Sandor outside in the middle of the night digging into the cold dirt to bury this poor father and daughter that he doomed to death so long ago at this very spot. Yeah. And I thought it was really cool because it's it's a couple things. It's showing him digging a grave is hinting to the book theory that he's a grave digger on the quiet aisle, which is really cool. And also like, this is like, it's him punishing himself because it's like, it's so hard to dig in cold ground.
3: Well, and he also feels guilty because I think he, They are a physical representation of the man he used to be.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so as he's burying them, it symbolizes him burying his past, burying the hound, you could say, and taking his first step on the hero's journey and his new path forward. So this is a very important moment for the character of the hound as he symbolically buries the past and steps into his shoes um, and his new purpose which is really cool. But yeah, like I was saying, it's super hard to dig in frozen ground. Right. So, so this is yeah. just like an extra little punishment that the hound has <laughs> has worked into this scenario for himself. But yeah, he's making amends and closing that bad chapter of his life as he's doing what he can to make up for a wrong that he's done by killing these people. He's giving them a proper burial and paying his respects, which sort of symbolizes making an effort to, to make up for the past, which is the direction that his life is going in general at this point. Definitely. So really cool. And uh, Thoros comes out and he's like, what the fuck, what the hell are you doing Clegane? And he's like burying the dead. And he sadly lifts up the body of this, this child, this dead girl and kneels and places her in the grave. And it's so sad. And Thoros realizes at this point that Sandor knew knew these these people. people. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I didn't really know him, but there was something, you know, he, he, Mm -hmm. we can can tell that there they'd had met at least. And so Sandor picks up the, uh, the other, like the body of the, the father and puts him down in the hole as well and starts shoveling the dirt down into the ground. And I like this. I love that
3: Thoros starts to help him.
2: Right. A gesture of solidarity and brotherhood. Um, and unity as the message that we got with John in the North earlier, as he steps up to help the hound with his pursuit and has his back. And um, it's probably the first time that the hound has ever had somebody like on his side, like this, helping him do something. Um, and like in a really personal moment between the two of them, connecting about something that's really emotional for son for Sandor. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. And we even get, you know, he, he tries to say the prayer that the old man said at the table. Oh, like,
2: that's the same prayer? Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, we
3: ask the father to judge us with mercy. And then he goes, we ask the mother, and he's like, fuck, I don't remember the rest. He's really? like, I'm sorry you're dead. Like, you deserve better. So he yeah. was trying to say the prayer that the man said at the table.
2: Good catch. Yeah, I, I didn't remember that that was the exact prayer, but yeah that's it's so intense. like we had seen Sandor trying to build the sept with the group of um you know with Ray and his crew. So we've seen him like reaching out to religion in in his and tr- trying to atone basically in mm-hmm. a couple of different ways by by first by trying to build the sept. Now he's trying to say these words and to do these customs of burying the dead. And he certainly ends up finding his way towards the Lord of Light in, in one way or another, right? The seven may not speak back to him, but the Lord of Light shows him well, a vision in this episode. And even after meeting the Lord of Light again face to face here, he still is out there saying the words of the seven, though, interestingly, you know?
3: I think, I, I do think, though, that
2: it could it's be for those people
3: to do with the the prayer that the man right. was saying out yeah, of respect yeah. so, for his religion, yeah, what that he makes believed sense. in.
2: Good call. Good call. So it's surprising to hear Sandor trying to say a prayer like this. Um but it's comforting to see him on a good path and trying to do good things. Even if he can't remember all the words, the, the positive intent is there, which yeah. is really cemented. When, and it's
3: almost better coming from the heart. Like yeah, when he exactly. says, I'm sorry, you're dead because you feel it more. Right?
2: He's not just saying something that he thinks he's supposed to say. He's really feeling the pain. He feels sorry. He, he knows that they deserved better and he regrets the actions that he took. And this is a new beginning for Sand- Sandor this is 100%. closing his the chapter of the hound and this is beginning his redemption arc really um on a strong note and uh, so it's really a great moment as uh sandor finishes and throws down the shovel and walks off um just a really potent moment um in his plot line i liked it
3: i love it anything
2: else you want to add about sandor and this whole uh, thing
3: No, I think you covered it really well. It's a great, it's a great, um, scene for his, for his story arc for sure.
2: Definitely. So what about you? What's your number two?
3: So my number two was the cold open, which we covered. Yeah. 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 So So I think we pretty much covered everything I wanted to say in, um, in that scene.
2: Nice. So how about your number one?
3: Let's see. My number one is Danny is home.
2: Dragonstone. Yeah. Uh, Me too.
3: I have said, and I know a lot of people have said this, but I know I've said this on Game of Microphones a lot, that sometimes it's the scenes that have the most minimal dialogue Dialogue. that have the most impact impact on the audience. Yeah. And this is one of those for me definitely I I remember watching the trailer and seeing her touch the dirt Oh! and we didn't know at the time we didn't know where she was we knew that she's clearly like in Westeros somewhere Mm. um as a first time viewer of the season seven I had a feeling she was gonna go to Dragonstone because that's where she was born and it just kind of made poetic sense for her to be there. Right. Right. Um, so I know we'll get to her touching the sand, but that, that piece was in the trailer. And I just remember like every hair on my body stood up.
4: Oh man.
3: <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. It's, so, it's just <laughs> an
2: electric moment as she touches the ground and gets that connection with the, with her home. And,
3: and it's, oh, it's, it's man. like she's feeling the earth breathe beneath her. She's, like, right. taking in the breath of where she's from.
2: Right. For the first time, basically, since she was born, she had to flee, um, exactly. like, immediately after birth, immediately. essentially. Um, and so... And we were hearing, like, as they're sailing up, we're hearing the happy dragon music, and the dragons are flying around Dragonstone. Oh, my God, and we get
3: that image of Dragonstone wherever the they dragons shot... Circling. Oh, my God! Like I actually this, I actually found so out
2: where painful. they shot it. This bridge oh, is a real is it? bridge. It's at a place called San Juan de Gusta Lugache in Spain. There's okay. like a little like monastery or something on top, on this little island oh, and uh, they superimposed the giant castle onto it, but that that crazy bridge actually exists. I think it's actually a, a mishmash of a couple different locations. um crazy yeah I'm I can't remember I love exactly how bridge. Yeah, it, it's
3: it seems so epic. it would be hard to like attack that castle kind of reminded me of like the bloody gate in a way. It's yeah, like you can land pass. on this beach, but you're going to have to walk up like maybe three abreast max, two or three. It seems pretty tight through there. Super tight. Um, Yeah, so that shot of the dragons flying over Dragonstone, knowing that it's the ancestral home of the Targaryens fleeing from Valyria, this is where they became. So
2: epically majestic.
3: Oh, God, the amount of energy I feel in that moment when they're flying around and you can see how big they are, too. Huge. They're huge. That's a huge castle. Right, right. I mean, you look at it, it's it's incredible. And we pull up to the beach and they focus in on her shoes. and she takes the first step into the ground. And you would think that that would be a big moment, like that she would stop right there, like mm. her first step on land that she decides to walk away from the group. Yeah. and I love that the group that she's with um
2: lets her go forth stays alone.
3: back, yeah, yeah, Tyrion being kind of. Like one to kind of talk nervously and just talk in general, you know, Greyworm, kind of wants to like be there to protect her. Missandei is her right hand woman. So she wants to kind of be up there, but they realize the importance that this means to Danny and she needs to experience it by herself.
4: Definitely.
2: And I think they've already sent like troops through here to clear the area type thing.
3: Oh, um, I'm sure. Yeah.
2: So it's like she's she's not in any immediate danger and they know. She's that not the already. first
3: person to step yeah, on the dragon stone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I got that vibe too. Just to make double sure that it is vacant all the way. Definitely. And we we get that she's walking from the sun down into the shade. And she bends down and oh, she like sets her hand on the wet sand. And that camera angle, it's just like a perfect image. It is image. so good. Lifts Karen. up her
2: palm and sees all the, the grit of the little bits of sand and just like run, runs her fingers through her palm. <laughs> feels the, the grain of the sand.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The way she like looks at it and feels it in her fingers and, you know, continues to like keep walking. It's such a poetic moment of her like... Feeling where she's from, feeling the history of her house, and her. Oh God, there's so much. Just
2: immersing herself in it alone, like just a Targaryen on her Targaryen island. Basically, it's oh, it's just so cool with
3: her three dragons flying around. It's like she's breathing life back into this place. Yes. And the earth is like breathing life into her. Yes. You know, It's so symbiotic and beautiful. And it's like perfect. she's where
2: she's supposed to be. And she walks around the corner and sees a, that gate with those two huge dragon heads.
3: Massive dragon heads. And, and they open up and reveal this amazing bridge. You
2: see the bridge winding.
3: It kind of reminded me of like, like a serpent in a way. Yeah, you know? it makes
2: sense. Dragons, like Chinese yeah. dragons are like twisting serpents that. That's what, that's
3: like what that. I was kind of going for. It had that vibe.
2: Sick. I like that.
3: Uh, yeah.
2: Remember when, when Jon Snow's walking up the bridge and the dragons like dive bomb him in <laughs> the interior and like, or he like jumps to the ground.
3: Tyrion's like, I would say you get used to it, but you don't really ever get used to it. Yeah.
2: Classic <laughs> moment.
3: Yeah. So they start walking up and, um, They enter the throne
2: room. Yeah. Well, before they even get to the throne room, they walk through the doors and, um, Danny sees a Baratheon banner banner down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I
3: forgot about that. Such a
2: huge moment too. Like last episode, we saw the Bolton banners fall at, at Winterfell, two episodes ago, and the Starks have finally reclaimed Winterfell, and now we're seeing Baratheon banners fall.
3: It's like the rightful houses have returned home.
2: Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So we get the Starks getting Winterfell back. Now we get the Targaryens or the Targaryen <laughs> getting Dragonstone, Dragonstone back. Stone. Yeah, soon
3: to be Targaryens because john arrives shortly. So there's yes. technically two Targaryens there. Beautiful. Um, you know,
2: at some point in season seven, maybe even three with, with Tyrion being there.
3: (laughs) That's true. Maybe plural right now. (laughs) Yeah,
2: definitely. (laughs) Exactly. So she pulls down that banner and then go to the throne room.
3: What a chair. Gorgeous. It reminds me of the rock formation that we see behind her as she's touching the sand.
2: Yeah. I think that's what it was modeled to look like. Probably like she, that crazy angled rock
3: mm, with all the lines so cool. it's very
2: diagonal
3: no. and like hard, yeah, like there's a harshness to it mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's really cool um,
3: very intimidating. and so I when I first watched it, I wanted her to go sit in the chair. I
2: know right. She's all about business though that's like yeah you know serious. She, she, she looks is. at
3: it and she takes it in and she breathes it in and um, grayworm goes to approach her and Missande holds him back. It's like, no, like let her, let her take this in. And
2: yes, such a great um, moment.
3: They're just watching in awe as this, you know, young woman is seeing her ancestral home for the first time um, and imagining her history there, her ancestors. Yeah. And then she sees the, I don't like, I don't know what you call the room behind the throne, but. The map
2: um, room, I think you could call it. The
3: map room. And
2: She bypasses the throne and walks over there. Must what does the symbolism of that mean? It's she's she's less intent on looking queenly and like more intent on acting. I think that that's not the
3: chair that she wants. She wants the Iron
2: Throne. So she's true, true. I mean,
3: that's not this chair isn't even really
2: that important. (laughs) It's
3: important, but it it doesn't hold the weight of her like sitting in it. Like the very first thing she does. And I wanted to ask you, did you notice her hair? I did not. It's very, very tightly braided.
2: Nice.
3: So I've talked about this before on um, previous episodes.
2: Yep. More and more braids with victories, an homage to the Dothraki custom.
3: She's. It's nice and tight now. It's pretty much in a. It's all braided against her head with like a cascading ponytail, but it's all pulled back now in a braid.
2: Nice. I did notice that as she leaned down to touch the sand, there were two strands of hair winding around each other looked that looked like a dna double helix Mm -hmm. uh, which is just so cool (laughs) very artfully done yeah
3: it kind of her hairstyle kind of gives me like rabbi vibes
2: (laughs) rabbi vibe oh with like like the uh the The tendrils coming down curls (laughs) those things
3: yes the yeah the orthodox the curls that come down right
2: that's funny yeah
3: um but the back is so tightly braided there's like four or five braids and then the braid wraps around like a few times of of a super long blonde ponytail so
4: so sick it's
3: not completely braided i'm so excited to see what her hair looks like in season eight um because it's just gotten more and more and more braided and i love that (laughs) she keeps that heritage of um her growth into becoming a woman through the dothraki customs and totally,
2: traditions totally next year she's gonna look like coolio
3: <laughs> she's gonna have them cornrows. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just to be all braided up yeah just pointing all different directions and shit
3: yeah so she walks into the the map room and she sees the table oh, um,
2: the table that Aegon carved
3: yeah she runs her fingers along it in the dust love
2: that shot
3: It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And Tyrion is kind of in awe. He's looking at this room. It's quite impressive. It looks out to, there's no. um, Over the
2: bay.
4: There's
3: like no glass there. I mean, it's just open to the weather, it looks like. Yeah, um, totally. It's beautiful.
4: Stannis would
2: often brood in here. And Danny is obviously drawn to this room as well. And Tyrion is just fascinated by these, these. Frescoes, or these reliefs of dragons all over the walls and everything. Yeah, he's just like, whoa! Like this is nuts.
3: Uh, And then we get her silhouette in the wind, in the like Uh, wind and Tyrion comes up to her side, and mm -hmm. they're the only two that we can see. I'm sure maybe other people might be in the room, but it's it's just a shot of her and Tyrion. Her hand. Moment of silence, and she looks at him, and she goes, "Shall we begin?"
2: Amazing, and then
3: the music hits, and it's da 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 da. da. <laughs> I love it. It's so amazing. So
2: good, right? Uh, I love. Fantastic.
3: Love this. It's so impactful. And there's one piece of dialogue.
2: Yeah, and it's just so one amazing. Line. I love
3: that they put it at the end. Yeah, shall we shall begin we, at the yeah, end? Yeah, and then it's end, <laughs> end scene. <laughs> yeah, it's like,
2: oh, it's shall end. we begin the new season? That's the way. Like, shall we kick it off? We just kicked mm-hmm. it off. Oh man, yep. so good. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Anything else you want to add about your number one, the dragonstone scene?
3: I'm so glad she's back in Westeros. Yeah. All after all this
2: time and the mirror knot has finally been untied at least on the show. And we're getting some progress, really exciting stuff.
3: Momentum is building and boy, it does not disappoint.
2: Yes. Moves are being made. Chess pieces are moving along the table.
3: Absolutely.
2: So let's move on to notes. What was your number one? My my number one was the same thing.
3: Oh, okay. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Notes.
2: So, yeah, Notes. Starts off with Bran having his vision, right?
3: Yes. We get the wind blowing over the tender, and that dark cloud starts to form. And you can see, like, little pieces of, like... Body is coming in and out of the cloud,
2: and that's this is like why that's why I said uh, Sandor sees the same vision that Bran saw earlier because Bran yep. is seeing this army and approaching, and then this is what Sandor seems to see through the fire.
3: And there's three giants.
2: Yeah, there's giants. Oh man, and
3: Hodor's in there somewhere.
2: Definitely, definitely. But it's it's so intense because we see these hulking figures riding through the mist, and you know that the White Walkers bring the cold, right? So it yes. seems like they bring like this this pea soup style mist like
3: ice fog.
2: Yeah, so you can't even see them coming, you just see fog coming and then it envelops you and then they come within it which is even more terrifying. The white colds they call it.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh man. Bone chilling, yeah, totally. So the all these like the the whites walkers are riding by, and the whites are lumbering past, and then we see these giants, and the cameras like looking down from above at this one angle, and these giants are lumbering towards the camera, and it zooms right in on one of the giant's eyes, the bright blue undead eye of the giant, and I was just thinking, ooh. Wasn't there a legend that like everything exists? blue? Eye. Yeah, McCumber's blue eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The dragons like lived inside of the eye of a giant or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I that, did no, that, that Everybody was cool.
3: lived inside of the, um, the, the eye yeah, of a the giant. Yeah, the whole planet
2: is like inside of a giant. Old man
3: eye. and Ober and Martell talk about McCumber's eye.
2: Right. Yeah. So I thought that was just kind of cool. We zoom in on the giant's eye and then Bran. Is lying in his sled and at Castle Black at outside the gate at the bottom. And he opens his eyes as he comes out of this warging vision, having seen the Night King and the army riding south. And the door opens to Castle Black, the gate for the tunnel opens, Mm. and Dolorous Ed is standing there. I love this. He's like, He's like, You wildlings, you know, he's like, Who the fuck are you guys? And Mira Mira Reed
3: looks like real in real rough shape, she's exhausted.
2: Oh, yeah, big time. And she tells him, she's like, I'm Mira Reed, the daughter of Howland Reed. And this is Brandon Stark, son of Ned Stark, brother of Jon Snow, as at least as far as I know thus far. (laughs) And Ed, Ed hilariously is like, how do I know that's true? And Bran kind of looks up and he's like, (laughs)
3: Robo Bran. Yeah, yeah.
2: He's like, he's like, I'll tell you how you know it's true. He's like, I know everything about you. And everything about everything, he's like, you were at the Fist of the First Men, you were at Hardhome, you've seen the Army of the Dead, you've seen and the Ed's Night King.
4: Like, what the hell? Yeah. How do you know all this? Yeah,
2: and Brand just kind of like drops the mic, and Ed is just blown away by the sheer volume of truth coming out of this kid's mouth—things he should not know—and uh, he's just kind of like blown away by like this almost mystical um, occurrence, right? <laughs> and so he's like, totally. "Okay, come on, come on in, then," <laughs> you know, brings him in. Yeah. And I was like, damn, this is wild. I love it. Yeah. What do you got next?
3: Um, Blackwater Bay. The ships. fleet in.
2: with a monstrous yep. mothership.
3: Oh, damn. What a ship. Yeah. Oh, my God. I
2: love those two like wings, kind of the sails that protrude outwards to the sides. They're very cool. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that big, like, kraken octopus on the very yeah, front, like the, the ramp, the rammer, ram. I guess.
2: Yeah, it, it's sort of designed like a trireme, like a, the Greek triremes, which would have rams at the waterline to sink enemy ships. To sink yeah. the
3: boats, their opposing
2: boats. But yeah. it's, it's cool because it's it's a kraken, right? And then with those with those um, wings sticking out off the sides, they kind of remind me of like a couple arms of the kraken, like because the because uh, krakens are like squid have eight arms and then they have two other arms that are like different than all the rest right so those ones are like the kind of like symbolized by those sails i think sticking out
3: yeah yeah that's cool yeah totally i love the kraken it always reminds me of pirates of the caribbean
2: yes yeah
3: monster sea creature there's a great rum called kraken rum yes
2: i've had it yeah, not yeah, bad. I like
3: all. it. It's good. It's I'm I'm not really a, a big fan rum, of rum. Right? It's really dark rum. It's sweet. Um but it's good. I mean, it's good for rum.
2: Yeah, definitely. And so um why is
3: all the rum gone? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um
3: because I drank it. No, I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> I hope we get to see a Kraken in season 8. That would be epic.
3: Oh, and and our spiders as big as hounds yes gotta see
2: those too totally the bu stod- students who wrote of their version of season eight included a kraken in theirs so
4: oh damn i'm hoping nice. we a kraken
2: too that'd be so cool crazy
3: so jamie's kind of like you invited the Greyjoys to king's landing like yeah, you honestly fuck? like these are the worst allies you could ever ask for they're like bitter angry little people is what they what he calls them yeah.
2: and cersei's like well i didn't invite all of them and Jamie's like, like it
3: looks like all of them. It's a lot of fucking ships out there. <laughs> yeah, it
2: was funny the way he said that, and it is. It's like a huge fleet, tons and tons of ships out there. And wow, what a beautiful location that they're filming in. This stone structure that they're standing on.
3: Yeah. Oh man.
2: Amazing. Great. Great <sighs> I love work her finding dress. that. Yeah.
3: I love it so much.
2: Looks like ready to roll. Ready for battle. Maybe I'll
3: cosplay as Cersei.
2: Nice. Yeah. Do it.
3: I <laughs> know. Oh, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) And so she goes, well, I invited them. You know, he's the new king of the Iron Islands. Um, We need stronger and better allies. And Jamie's like, how are these any better than Walder Frey?
4: Right. Like they they both both
3: broke promises and they murdered murdered their friends friends. as soon as it suited them. And she goes, so does everyone when it suits
2: them. Yeah. And so is her mindset.
3: And it reminded, it harkened back, it just a slight echo back to John and what's his face, the bird warg, the wildling bird warg. Oh, um, Orel. Orel. Yeah, Orel. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so, you know, he says to John, like, people do this when it suits them, people do that when it suits them, people kill each other when it suits them. So it's kind of the same sentiment here.
2: Totally, um, totally.
3: But unlike the phrase, who are fucking worthless, at least these worthless people have ships.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's the one plus side.
3: And she thinks they're good at killing and he goes, they're not good at anything. They have to uh, like line steal too. stuff. They have to basically steal everything because they can't build it or grow it themselves He's, because there's literally nothing on these islands. This is
2: true. The ironborn. I don't like making generalizations about groups of people, you know, <laughs> like that's sure, what racism sure, is sure. basically. But, but the ironborn as a people generally seem to kind of be scumbags. <laughs> Raving yes. and reaping. Generally and speaking. And, yeah.
3: yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's it is pretty, pretty bad. bad.
2: Barbaric. Yeah, definitely.
3: So, um, basically. This is
2: when Cersei drops the bomb on Jamie, right?
3: Like I didn't have him come here for, you know, all of that anyways. And Jamie's like, well, why is he here? And she looks at him and she goes, a queen. And he's like, oh fuck me. Well,
2: yeah. Like this trifling ass asshole. Yeah.
4: Ugh. Bitch.
2: Yeah, right. Like I'm finally back, and now you're like talking about mar- getting married again. Like, weren't you talking about you and me versus the world before?
3: Yeah, you know what I mean, it's, like it's it's showing her psychoticness. Like her, it's almost turning into like a manic behavior. She doesn't have a compass right now, or her compass is spinning out of control. Like she's going in every direction, and Jamie's
2: just trying to figure
3: out where she stands. Totally. And she's not grieving. Yeah, she should be grieving. I mean. Let's yeah, that's pretty intense, huh? She grieved with both of her other kids and she's not grieving with Tommen. Yeah. So she's she's got to take it out somewhere. Yeah.
2: yeah. So it then it cuts to the, the great hall, to the throne room. And they got <laughs> a scumbag. Yeah, processions of, or like soldiers lined up on both sides and Euron standing in the middle, <laughs> um, meeting with Cersei who's in the throne and Jaime standing next to her. And uh, they're talking about how he was chosen to be lord of the iron islands and then his his niece and nephew turned on him their own uncle stole his best ships and ran and i thought it was Someone so funny
3: sorry for you you fucking liar
2: yeah he's like sailed right across the world and gave them to the dragon queen so she could bring her armies here to attack you and uh cersei is like huh right but and, and i love this next line by Euron. He's like. That's nothing compared to the treason you suffered at the hands of family members from what I hear. Uh, but it still bothers me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. murdering them would make me feel a lot better. I That was a pretty funny line. And he's like, uh, he has a great point here. He's like, but he's like, considering all of our treasonous family members are all fighting on the same side together. I thought it made sense. We team up. And slaughter them all together, right?
3: <laughs> Why not? Sounds like a good idea. Us
2: rightful monarchs could uh, team team up here. And I was like, whoa, rightful monarchs questioning Cersei's authority over Pike, asserting that he's a rightful monarch for the Iron Islands.
3: Yeah. And that Cersei's Especially not right the queen after of she said seven... that she's the queen of the seven kingdoms. Right.
2: And he starts to take a step towards the Iron Throne and Gregor just walks over, blocks him and off. And
3: like, okay, I feel you, bro. Yeah. I'll step back, I'll step yeah,
2: back. Yeah, he's, he looks up at Gregor and Gregor just stares him down until he backs off, basically. And I was like, "Damn, that was a hilarious stare down." Eventually, Euron smiles and like laughs a bit and backs off, and and Gregor just lumbers back to his position and like (laughs) like stands like a like a wooden soldier, like exactly like he had been beforehand. Because
3: he's being controlled by Kyburn. Yeah, it's crazy. A robot.
2: And so Jamie Jamie is pissed now because he's pissed anyway that somebody's cr- coming for his his sister that he loves right. But yeah. he's like, you're not a rightful monarch though, are you? And I'm like, oh man, he already hates the Ironborn as we know, but now this one wants to steal steal Cersei. He's fucking mad about this.
3: Well it's kind of a you know slap to the Lannisters because the the Greyjoys are not like a powerful house.
2: Right. You like, know? Yeah, it's like you want to marry, marry a
3: Greyjoy yeah. like um, <laughs>
2: Think of all of the houses. Yeah, like it's like It's like Rob marrying a fray. Like it's like something that he really don't want to do. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's like tarnishing your
2: yeah, legitimacy. Good name. Yeah, totally. So plus the Greyjoys had attacked the Lannisters previously. He's like, come to mention it, weren't you the one that started the Greyjoy Rebellion by sailing to Casterly Rock and burning all the Lannister fleet down?
3: He caught us there. He really did.
2: And I'm like, oh snap, yeah. You Vermin. You Vermin, yeah. Pretty smart move on your part uh but we made it to the iron islands islands anyway you didn't stop us from wreaking havoc on your whole house and slapping bitch slapping you back into place
3: nephews and
2: yeah so this is the the place where thoros came through the breach as well with a flaming sword right Drunk so, as fuck. Yeah, drunk as fuck. So Euron talks about how he remembers seeing Jamie here and like he how he had heard so much talk, like like the blackfish was saying, like the best in the world. No one can stop him. A force of nature with a sword, right? And he's like, I didn't believe it, to be honest. But damn, when you came through that breach and started just slicing all these people down, it was glorious, man. Like a dance. And Jamie's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Those were your family that people. I was killing. He's like, fuck those people. Yeah, he's like, the place was getting crowded. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious <laughs> Linus is like, so that sort of reminded me of um, Ramsey. I always enjoyed being an, an only child. I prefer being an only child. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: Similar type line by a scumbag, not valuing family. So the place was getting crowded and he's like, I enjoyed watching you slaughter them. I truly did. And Jamie's like, well, I enjoyed killing Greyjoys and I'll fucking kill you too, bro. Like I would love it. Come on. Just give me a reason. Right. And, uh, and Euron goes on to thank Jamie. He's like, "Well, if you hadn't crushed our our rebellion, I never would have gone into exile and if I hadn't gone into exile, I wouldn't be the greatest captain in the fourteen seas. I thought that was cool, the fourteen seas doubling yep. the seven seas <laughs> yeah. and uh Cersei mentions that oh, he's so humble as well, right <laughs> hilariously it's
3: like, well, you're not humble,
2: yeah, and he's like, and you're the queen of a great nation, and like like you you probably don't give a shit about the iron islands like nothing but rocks and bird shit and hilariously a lot of very unattractive people he says <laughs> made me laugh yeah and, you uh,
3: included
2: yeah <laughs> and so uh he's like he's like but it's not the it's not the ironborn that you, you're interested anyway it's the fleet the greatest armada westeros has ever seen with our fleet you can destroy all of your enemies in the east and the south and the north And Cersei's like, well, what do you want for it? Basically, like, let's get down to brass tacks. That's it. It is what it's about. I want your fleet, right? So Euron says to her, this is very interesting. He says, ever since I was a little boy, I wanted to grow up and marry the most beautiful woman in the world. So here what? I am with a thousand ships and two good hands. A jab Q at Jamie. scene. Yeah, he like, he jabs at Jamie with two good hands and lifts, raises his arms up like the Night King on the dock, like, come at me, crow. And Jamie's so
3: pit- pissed, so his face pissed. starts twitching. Yeah, and-
2: but I thought this was very interesting because he says, I was interested, you know, since I was a little boy, I wanted to grow up and marry the most beautiful woman in the world. He never says it's Cersei. And the last time we saw him, he was telling Theon and Yara about how he wanted he's to marry, marry Daenerys. The Dragon Queen. Right, so I feel like he's sort of pulling a Peter Baelish here. Where remember oh, he he's yeah. like, all my life I've only ever loved one woman, your sister. Boom, as he yes. pushes her through the hole.
4: Boom. So yeah, Euron is like
2: it. luring Cersei in here, like all my life I've only ever wanted to marry the most beautiful woman in the world, and then at the last minute, he like. He's like Daenerys Targaryen and like pushes her (laughs) off of the fucking Red Keep or something, you know, and like hands over. King's Landing to Danny and I like, guess she like is about to storm the gates and he like walks out with the key and like Cersei's head. Oh my god. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? He's totally pulling a Peter Baelish here. He's not talking about Danny. She's not no. as beautiful as the Or the, Cersei. The, yeah, yeah, about Cersei. He's he's talking about the legendary beauty of the dragon queen. The, dragon the younger, queen. more beautiful queen from from Cersei's prophecy. It wasn't Marjorie was, Cersei. Cersei. It was yeah.
3: Danny, you dumb bitch.
2: Yeah, maybe with the combined power of Houses Lannister and Tyrell, they could have teamed up to take Targaryen. But nope, now it's just Danny who's coming to take everything she holds dear. So I thought this was great. It's like sort of a a sleazy, slimy, total Baelish parallel. Come on, he's not talking about Cersei here, right?
3: Well, like you just said, they're both like slimy
2: characters, right. so it's
3: perfect. It's a perfect parallel to draw.
2: Right, we get a parallel with Ramsay with his line about the house being too crowded, and Ramsay being, you know, like preferring being an only child. We get an allusion to Peter Baelish here, like all my life I've only ever loved one woman type thing. So I really feel that Euron has no intention of being true to Cersei and just sees her as a stepping stone to Daenerys, sort of the way that she sees the the the. The throne at Dragonstone is a stepping stone to the Iron Throne.
3: She's like, I decline your proposal. (laughs) It's like, what? Why? Come on. You're not trustworthy. You've broken promises, murdered people. Like you murdered your own brother. Why should I trust you? He's like, eh. Yeah, good goes, point. You should try oh, it. Yeah, it feels the, great to your brother. Yeah,
2: she's like, oh, I've been trying to murder Tyrion for years now. You
3: know? He goes, I, I get you though. You don't need you
2: don't want to trust me
3: outright. I gotta prove it. So yeah. here I go. I'm gonna go get you a gift, a priceless gift. I won't return to King's Landing until I have that for you.
2: Right. And what is his gift? What is the gift that he gets, her It was
3: Alaria sand.
2: Oh yeah.
3: I mean, whether that was the gift he originally intended to get, probably yeah, Who not, knows?
2: Yeah, but, but it's a gift they got. It's, it's, a it's a good, a good gift. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Right.
3: Nice. So
2: he strolls on out of there.
3: Um, that's it for my notes on that scene.
2: Same here. So next, we're where Winterfell with Brienne whooping on Podrick you're a lucky man oh my god that's so funny tormund (laughs) walks up and brienne is just shutting podrick down at every combat advance just nope 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 (laughs) nope
4: nope.
2: love that (laughs) And Torment is just like, oh my God, there she is. I love you. And he walks up, and right as he's about to say something, the camera pans back, and we're with Peter Baelish and Sansa. And I'm like, no, I wanted to see their interaction. I want to see what happens with Brienne and Torment. I love that there.
3: Sansa's like kind of shutting down Baelish. Right?
2: She's playing him hard. She's, she's like, I'm what wondering about want? what is her motivation here? She's, I, I was thinking about. I think it.
3: she wants him to leave, but. She can't ask him to
2: leave. There's that. I think that she's she's playing hard to get and like um, making you know like playing making him think that um, that she like doesn't give a fuck. Basically, Um, she's she's provoking him. Yeah, she's she's not hiding her contempt. She's she's provoking him, trying to make him act out so that she can catch him and have him executed. I think. Hmm, Interesting. She's luring him into action because he knows that if she if he put stress on him, makes him think that his position, his vision it's questionable. It's questionable that he's going to take action to try to secure his vision of himself on the throne with, with her by his side. Right. So if, if he thinks that somebody else is winning over Sansa in her mind and he's, she's becoming more loyal to John or to Arya when she arrives,
3: he's going to, he's going to try to mess up.
2: Yeah. Mess that up. And Plant himself um uh, in her better graces. She's waiting right? for
3: the proverbial shoe to drop.
2: Right. So she knows that if she puts stress on him, that he's going to do something. So I think she's just setting him up here and biding her time. And she's shutting him down. You're like, I like, do you you want you happy. I want you safe.
3: She was like, dude, I am safe. I have Brienne. I'm at home. I'm surrounded by friends. And she kind of like looks at him like, I don't consider you a friend. Yeah.
2: She's like, what do you want? (laughs) Uh, It's so funny. And and she, he's like marveling at Brienne to begin with. Right. She's like, I've heard she beat the hound in single combat. She's a very impressive woman. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, she is. And you know, Peter's
3: like, why aren't you happy right now? And she goes, well, at the moment, I just want some fucking peace and quiet. Get the fuck out of here. And I think Brienne kind of sensed that. So she walks up the stairs and, um Save Lord Baelish day. goes to say something. She goes, No need to see is the last word, Lord oh. Baelish. I'll assume it was something clever. And I'm like, Yes. Oh like,
2: damn. That's like an a Queen of Thorns level burn right there, right? Yeah. Oh my god, legendary burn.
3: I like how he says my he says my lady in two different tones of voices to one to Brienne and one to Sansa. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, he goes, um to Brienne, he goes, My lady, and to Sansa, he goes, my lady. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Great. So he like bites his tongue there and doesn't say the last word as much as mm-hmm. he wanted to. Yeah. And I'm like, and Brand's oh, like, oh, why yeah. the
3: fuck is he still here? And she's like, dude, we need his men. He fucking won the battle. Like he, yeah, won it for he, us. Saved us, he saved us. She says, us. wow.
2: So she's, she's giving saying, him credit, but something. she's putting some stress on him. Yeah, Brand, she. He wants and something. So like,
3: don't worry, I know exactly what he wants. You know what and he Brand's wants? like?
2: Interesting. He wants that thing. That thing. That thing. <laughs> oh, my <God.
4: laughs> you know, oh my god.
2: That's what he wants.
3: Oh, craziness. Well, that's all the notes that I had.
2: Same here. So yeah, just interesting. I thought that I think Sansa is manipulating him at this point. Um,
4: yeah, and he, she hey, knows hey. that
2: he's he's she's got him partially wrapped around his finger, and she's just toying with him and seeing what she can do and what she can make him do. And like I said, I really think she's setting him up here, making him so sort of forcing him to make a move so that she can bust him basically. Bust a move. Yeah, bust move. And dude, so soon. Oh my God, so soon we're going to I know, have...
3: it's been like 24 hours. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean like so soon, like we're going to get bran back at winterfell we're gonna have oh, damn, arya I back know. at winterfell and we're gonna have four <laughs> members of house stark all back together
3: within like a few just like a handful of episodes it's, it's so crazy. exciting
2: man and Even they're all separated turn from on day Baelish. one and yeah. now they're
3: all back together it's
2: really really exciting one so season what an exciting season we have to look forward to she as we continue wait. through season seven and our rewatch approaching season eight the final season of game of thrones it's going to be great can't wait all right stick with us guys for a minute we'll be right back after a short break coming soon it's what you've wanted all along you just didn't realize it the epic moments the shocking twists the raging battles Game of Thrones as never seen before. All the glory. All the beauty. Whoa. Hey, Beavis, did you see that chick's boobs? (laughs) As seen through the eyes of Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead react. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Uh. Da, 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 Damn it, da, Beavis. Da, da, don't make me da, da, kick da, da, your ass. Ow. ow. Damn it, Butthead. This th- show sucks. And we're back with Game of Thrones and history. From RuadButler.com 10 ways that medieval Ireland represents Game of Thrones by Ruad Butler. want to start start off?
3: Sure. Cool. Dublin, not California, is King's Landing. (laughs) Ireland, at the beginning of the Tudor period, much like Westeros and unlike the more unified England, was a mottle of lordships controlled by a small number of powerful landowners, each of whom had client families and brittle alliances with other clans. Rather than houses Stark, Lannister, and Martell, in Ireland, we had the Kildare, Ormond Clan Ricard, and Tyrone Dynasties, among countless others. Each had their own of, sphere of influence. Sorry, I said sphere.
2: Ah, that's pretty cool. Spear Each had their influence. own
3: sphere of influence. Wielder of the
2: Spear of influence.
3: <laughs> I've been playing that's too much Final title. Fantasy lately. Yeah, now you have
2: your title for next episode, too. <laughs>
3: Oh, damn, you'll have to remind me.
2: (laughs) The Spear of Influence.
3: Nice. I like that. Here, let me write it down before I forget it.
2: (laughs) Wielder of the Spear of Influence. Yes.
3: Okay, I wrote it down. Excellent. Okay. Each had their own armies. Each jealously defended their borders against all outside influence. Some had even been kings before the Tudor reconquest of Ireland. For hundreds of years, these dynasties' relationship to Dublin was much like that of major houses in Westeros towards King's Landing, little more than a nominal recognition of overlordship. Dublin's power, like George R. R. Martin's city, was not simply because it was the major part and chief market. It was not even because of its daunting walls and impregnable castles sitting on a wide, on a wide river. It was because it was the seat of government. In truth, however, the administration was little more than an enclave of english power and they could not actually enforce any of their laws beyond a few miles from the city walls in westeros the king really only had control over the crown lands and in ireland the government could really only enforce its rule over the pale interesting nice
2: yeah really interesting two the execution of Edard stark the medieval government of Ireland of ireland was made up of an executive not unlike the small council on game of thrones with a number of picell-like churchmen and lowly english court officials attempting to make their fortune on this on this administration the duke of wellington wellington's paternal ancestors walter and robert collie were two such officials from the tudor period who could easily have been the basis for littlefinger nice in the absent in the absence of the king, the government of Ireland was run by a justicier, later called Lord Deputy. This role was very much like that of the Hand of the King, played by Eddard Stark at the beginning of the first season. The officeholders were once great landowners in their own right and frequently ignored or even outright, dis- outright disobeyed orders coming from England in order to govern Ireland as they saw fit. In 1463, the Earl of Desmond, Thomas Fitzgerald, was named Lord Deputy by the New Yorkist King Edward IV, a usurper very much in the nature of Robert Baratheon. Desmond had proved himself by defeating the Lancastrians at the Battle of Piltown, but despite his good governance, he fell out of favor with Edward IV because of his opposition to to his suspect marriage to Elizabeth Woodville. If that sounds familiar to Eddard Stark's position with Cersei Lannister, you won't be shocked to hear that some sources, su- sources suggest it was Elizabeth Woodville who brought about Desmond's downfall. Replaced as Lord Deputy by an Englishman, John Tiptoft, <laughs> Desmond was accused.
3: A nice last name. <laughs>
2: <yeah>, Tiptoft. <tipped> <laughs> Desmond was accused of treason, seized, despite having sought sanctuary in a priory by the government. He was then summarily beheaded at Drogheda. Like Rob Stark did in Game of Thrones, Desmond's son Maurice raised his war banners and marched against the capital, only stopping short when Edward IV offered pardon in return for the laying down of arms. Nice. Do you hear that?
3: Ravens?
2: Sir Matthew of House Rep. Sandor burying the farmer and his daughter is a nice nod to his time as the gravedigger on the quiet aisles in the book.
3: Gravedigger! Grave Sorry, digger. that's a total Monster
2: Jam reference. Yeah. Gotta love the gravedigger. <laughs> it's the coolest. We love it. <laughs> I also love that Sandor can see visions in the flames. Much like Igrit, you can say Sandor was, quote, kissed by fire as a young lad and it changed his destiny. Gregor, putting him to the flame, birthed the Hound, but this time, with the Brotherhood, it's rebirthing him to serve his true purpose. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Maester Wolken must be so relieved to not be serving Ramsay anymore. Yeah, totally. My thoughts exactly. (laughs) I understand John's reasoning for not pushing the surviving Umbers and Karstarks and stripping them of their homes, but surely you can gift the Dreadfort to one of your loyal bannermen.
3: Perfect. I, would I love agree. that solution. We didn't even think about the dreadfort because the Boltons are gone.
2: Yeah, that house is gone. I, oh, I suggested giving it to Tormund.
3: But I don't know if Tormund would necessarily like want it. Do you know what I mean? Because he doesn't like have the significance for
2: it. I don't know. I mean, if if given the option, I think he'd be like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I'll
3: take a castle. Come on, guys. I can let's see, see him hang on taking a castle. castle for sure. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he heard, he already got sent up to the East watch by the sea.
2: Right. He, Yeah. Well, yeah, he's, he's, he has a mission, but under the right circumstances, I can see him. His, like, eventually that. yeah, Maybe right. that's
3: why it wasn't given out.
2: Just yeah. Yet. Maybe, maybe that'd be so cool. huh?
3: Yes. Thanks for writing in Sir Matthew. Yeah, we love your feedback. You. It's always super good. Mm-hmm. Next we have Lady Lucy of house Jane. So what can I say? <laughs> I love the cold open, girl. Me too. Oh, yeah. I don't understand how Arya has Walder Frey's voice, but I'm just going to go with the magic and be happy. Yeah, Yeah, I think there's definitely some type of magical aspect
2: behind it for sure. Definitely, definitely.
3: Because they are all dead, which makes for a better Westeros. Also... Love that she doesn't kill the girls and isn't indiscriminate in her hatred. Me too. I yep. like that she spares the women for sure.
2: Definitely something that sets it her apart for shows a little me. bit of
3: control, which I know that I express a little bit of concern about like where her soul is going. Yep. So she is still... Um, you know, practicing control also with the Lannister army as well.
2: Yeah. Maybe, maybe we don't know. (laughs) We could find out she slaughtered a mom, but yeah, it it does set her apart from the indiscriminate nature of killing of, of the God of death and Mm -hmm. of Cersei Lannister, for instance.
3: Yeah, absolutely. She's kind of playing in a way the God of death because she's choosing who lives and who dies. Yeah.
2: Which no one has the power to do.
3: Exactly. So it may backfire on her. We shall see. Mm.
2: But she, if she's no one, then she has that power. That's true. It's also confusing. Yeah, I know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I adore Euron
3: digging at Jamie. Yeah, me too. It's super funny when he has Hilarious. like a two good hands moment.
2: Yep.
4: It
3: makes me laugh so much. Jamie is so mad.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: The shit scenes make me gag, and I hate that Sam is still locked away from so much knowledge. That only the old fuckers can get to. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yep, fuckers.
3: Totally. Oh yeah. We are this world's memories is a beautiful line. I love that too, for sure. Yep. Tormund's love for Brienne is amazing.
2: I agree. I don't think he sees her as just like this big beast to make babies with. I think he sees her as like a god, like a living goddess. Like
3: yeah, he loves her. She's yeah. like well, she is. She's like the this- epitome
2: of humanhood. You know.
3: Yeah. In his mind, for sure. Yeah. In many people's minds. I mean, I love I love her so much.
2: Yeah, she's great.
3: Sansa standing up to Littlefinger is so very refreshing. It makes me happy that the Brotherhood calls Sandor Clegane rather than the Hound. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a great point for sure.
2: Seeing him more than just a beast.
3: Yeah. As a person versus a dog. Animal, yeah. But the scene where he finds the dad and daughter... Dead breaks me. I'm sorry you're dead. Is there ever a better thing to say when someone has died? Beautifully simple. Agreed. A true. True statement.
2: Very nicely said.
3: I'm glad Danny has put some warm clothes on. She'd have caught her death wearing that flimsy dress she had had on when they sailed from Marine. Uh, That's me channeling my nana. That's <laughs>
2: <cute>. <laughs> totally.
3: Does anyone else find it odd? That there is no one on Dragonstone. I find it weird. Would no one have moved in? I would have chanced my arm and had a go at squatting for sure.
4: Oh, hell that yeah. My
3: bathroom would be bloody freezing with those huge windows. Yes, <laughs> but also very refreshing on a summer day.
2: Totally. Getting a little spray from the seawater. To- <laughs> sea,
3: sea spray.
2: Yeah, I like uh, good Great feedback. Thank you.
3: Yes, thanks.
2: Yeah, it is kind of weird. Nobody has made an attempt to uh, to squat over there for sure. I'll I give have you that. to. It's just hard to that. get to, probably for the average person, I guess.
3: But like, what one of the houses have taken it? Although, what strategic advantage does it have other than
2: White right. Walkers? It could can't just during a time water. of war, it would be you know like all the wars that have been going on in the Seven Kingdoms. It would be like potentially an expenditure of resources that could be difficult to maintain for any of the houses.
3: Yeah, except it might become crucial in the war to come.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it guards the entrance to um, Blackwater Bay, right? So, cut off that entrance, and that's supply to King's Landing gone potentially for um, you know like at least ship ship based supplies. Well, Danny made like that. sure
3: none of the supplies from Highgarden made it there, so oh.
2: yeah, that's true. <laughs> they got the gold though. Got the gold. Hmm. Sir Patrick of Hindsight. Anyone who felt Ed Sheeran ruined this episode, shame on you for recognizing him.
4: Uh oh. <laughs> I recognized
2: him. <laughs> I did not. So i missed the shame here. Shame. Yeah, shame. <laughs> shame. <laughs> the, the opening for this episode was originally going to be the shot of the marching army of the dead, but the Walder Frey actor gave such an impressive performance of Aria as Walder that they gave it to him instead. I love it. Yeah, I love so that they cool. changed it. It takes amazing skill to get the showrunners to throw away such, such a deftly embedded cold opening pun. <laughs> yeah. Right. If, if we started with the white walkers, it would have been a real cold open. Psh,
4: and it shut.
3: kind of worked because she, Aria talks about that winter came for House Frey. And then the next scene, we actually see like winter approaching. Yes,
2: so cool. Yeah, I so like it, that too. So it
3: flowed well. Flowed it didn't really seem well. clunky to me at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Although that, having that cold opening would have been hilarious.
4: The cold, <laughs> yeah. the cold,
2: cold opening? Yeah, really cold. Ice cold opening. <laughs> nice. He continues, the, the quote, army of the dead, unquote, shot, ends with the camera pointing us directly into the eye of a blue-eyed giant i interpret this clear macumber reference as the showrunner's way of beckoning us to ask ourselves what am i unwilling to accept at this point
4: nice.
2: <laughs> we transition from the giant's blue eye to a close-up of bran's face was he watching the last scene with us is he wondering the same question i just posed <laughs> mira relinquish Mira relinquishes her role as mother of dragons. <laughs> <laughs> dragons like like baggins spelled like D-R-A-G-G-I-N-S because she's always dragon brand
3: dragon brand. dragging
2: him around. That's hilarious. I like how quickly the good guys recognize each other now. Brand the human cheat code wins over Dolores Eeyore with a sentence or two. <laughs> Dolores Eeyore. Eeyore Ed. That's great. Yeah. This this is why Littlefinger's days are numbered. His ability to sow dissent is hard countered. His vast network of informers is paltry in comparison to, quote, a thousand eyes and one. Unquote. I have a
3: theory about Littlefinger, and I'm holding off for a couple episodes because I want to put it in at the right moment. But I'll just say that he may not necessarily be dead.
2: Yeah, it's true. So. It's true. I. I'm looking forward yeah. to hearing your theory about I'm that. I'm looking
3: forward to talking about it, but now is not the time. That would
2: be a fucking mind blower if if Littlefinger had turned out to not I, be dead. There's,
3: I've watched it enough. I While I love the fact that in the moment we got revenge on Littlefinger and we watched him die, there's a part of me, I have a theory. I think he has connections in Bravos, and he gave that girl an iron coin because she says, she whispers to him, your time is up. And then he hands her a coin. Oh, fuck. I and don't I even think, remember that. I think he flees Winterfell and a faceless man takes his place. And I think it's a faceless man that dies.
2: Sort of the way that Jaqen killed himself with the poison instead of Arya.
3: I don't think it's Littlefinger at all. I think he's gone. I think he's back in the veil.
2: So, yeah, we'll talk more about that when, yeah. we, uh, when we talk about Littlefinger's death, I guess. But
3: Yeah. So that's my theory, though, where I'm going with
2: this. So Very interesting. Very interesting.
3: Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. to that. When, when she hands in the iron coin is when I want to talk about it because nice. it's a very quick scene.
2: Yeah. I missed that entirely. So and the
3: more I watch it and the more I've it's read her lips, some
2: deep meaning. it
3: has a meaning because it's unnecessary. It's right. unnecessary. Totally. So yeah. <laughs> You'll just have to listen on and find out.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. I like um, Sir Patrick's reference here to A Thousand Eyes in One, which is uh, the quote about the three-eyed raven from the books. How he has one eye and he sees with all these thousands oh, of nice. eyes. Of oh, yeah. the trees and through the ravens and everything. Like and the
3: branches growing through one of his eyes. So he only has yeah. one
2: eye. Yep. He's got a root in there. That's right. So um I like that because it's true. Littlefinger's spy network pales in comparison to the capabilities of being a three-eyed raven and seeing through time and in and space. Nice. Pretty excellent. He goes on, John, you think I'm Joffrey? Sansa. Well you literally declared th- I'm the king five seconds the ago. King. What kind of, <laughs> that was kind of a Joffrey meme, but no, you're as far from Joffrey as anyone I've ever met.
4: <laughs> oh my damn, I am that's the a king. Burn for That's sure. true. I never,
2: I never noticed John saying that before. Like anyone who has to say <laughs> that a king is no king, right? That's right. John, I see nothing ironic about that statement. I mean, it's not like he and I share a grandfather or anything. Oh, Oh my God. He's thinking if Jamie and Cersei are are secret Targaryens, then they would share a. <laughs> a oh yeah,
3: got it, got it.
2: Hilarious!
3: You're so sneaky, Sir Patrick.
2: Yeah, totally. <laughs> Does Sandor see his visions in the flames because he's quote kissed by fire?
3: Ooh, or is it an
2: innate Clegane ability?
4: <laughs>
3: I think it's because he was kissed by fire.
2: Definitely. Cersei stands on the neck. Jamie comes in and stands next to the fingers. Valencar, much?
3: Oh, there you go. Valencar I picked up on that too. to a
2: book reference.
3: Nice.
2: Yes. Thanks, awesome. everybody, for your feedback. Thanks
3: for writing in, everybody.
2: All right. That's our show, episode 103. Thanks for listening, everybody.
3: Yes, thank you guys so much.
2: And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers, for announcing our show. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com.
3: Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon as an amazon associate we earn from qualifying purchases
2: any contribution you make helps and you can help secure the continues continued existence of game of microphones we'd like to thank our patrons sir matthew of house rep lady lucy of house roberts lady candace of house twos lady terry of house theodore lord jeff of house allen sirenicide lord john of house grills and luke the low duke thank you guys so much for your support
3: Yes, thank you guys so much. It's so awesome. We love you.
2: Yes. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmeister Stitches. Go to Sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I loved having Archmeister Stitches on last week. Yeah, it's, it's always, always so, so nice fun. to have him. Definitely. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, PyRomancer. romancer. She has been monumental behind the scenes to work on getting our website, gameofmicrophones.com, up and running. She's also a fantastic artist. I'm not even kidding when I say that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, no joke at all. So check out her amazingly illustrated children's book, the people you may see available now on amazon.com. It's also eligible for Amazon prime.
2: Nice. And
3: I will say that Justin's pretty young um, to have a book like this, but he loves it. He pulls it every night for story time.
2: Nice. That's awesome. And
3: there's this really cute little boy that she's sketched in the book and he has a couple birthmarks on his face. And we've been telling Justin um, because at first he said, oh, you know, does he have a boo-boo? And, you know, we talked to him and we read him the paragraph about this little boy. And we told Justin that he was, you know, those marks, those birthmarks make him unique and very handsome. So the other night... (laughs) We turn to that page and he goes, Oh, this little boy's so cute. He's unique and handsome. Yeah
2: that's epic. Yeah. And I love
3: that it's already sticking with my two and a half year old that yeah, these that's concepts great. that she's um, you know, exposing children to in her simple explanations. It's really an awesome concept. Any parents out there with young children should really check it out. It's amazing. I Beautiful. love it. You can check out all of her fine illustrations at FineArtsByLisa.com. She's also on Instagram and Facebook.com slash FineArtsByLisa.
2: Next episode, we'll be covering Season 7, Episode 2, Stormborn. Mm. Yeah. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739.
3: If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com.
2: Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash GOM podcast.
3: Imp slap! Ugh. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steam It.
2: We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast.
3: And we're on Tumblr too at Game of Microphones.
2: All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening.
3: You've been quiet since you came home. Are you angry with me?
2: No, not angry.
3: Are you afraid of me? Should I be? Daenerys Targaryen has chosen Tyrion to be her hand. Right now, they're sailing across the narrow sea, hoping to take back her father's throne. Our little brother, the one you love so much, the one you set free, the one who murdered our father and our firstborn son, now he stands beside our enemies and gives them counsel. He's out there somewhere at the head of an armada.
4: Where will they land? Dragonstone. <laughs> Damn the both of you, you know, mm-hmm. they're like you're relentless essentially. And I feel
3: that. Same kind of vibe from little Leon, leave little Leona more months,
2: <laughs> triple L.
3: Yeah, she's the best. Um, father used to say everything the word before the word but is horseshit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> shit. two Ned quotes in one episode from John. Epic!
3: So he's certainly channeling his father. Yeah,
2: he is. It's great. He's in that mindset. He's mindsta- trying to mindset.
3: be that. That person. The
2: Lord, yeah. He's trying to, you know, get in his dad's headspace to, to, to do the job he needs to do and be honorable. And,
3: and Sansa's like, fuck, we've been so consumed with the Night King. We forgot about Cersei.
2: Yeah, good point. We see Walder Frey standing there and I'm like, oh my God, as I realize it's Arya. I'm like, she has the technology because she <laughs> she made this faceless man mask herself. Isn't this the same room that the Red Wedding took place in? Uh yes, so so it would be. what poetic justice? Oh, yeah, it
3: would. I think it is.
2: Yeah, I think, I think so. Right. So what? What poetic justice as uh, as Arya or as um as Walder Frey is meeting his end in the same room as he betrayed. That never Rob even Stark. occurred to me yeah that makes
3: this so much more impactful full
2: circle right the, oh, the crime damn. the crime leading directly to the punishment what goes around comes around
3: <laughs> and i love that she's checked that name and her revenge off the list but i i think i said this last episode you have to be as as a lover of aria you have to be concerned with how cold-hearted assassinate like What a cold-hearted assassin she has become! Right, like
2: worried for her 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 soul, basically. You could say it's pretty
3: dark (laughs) to like wipe out an entire house.
2: (laughs) Yeah, she's achieved Tywin Lannister status at like nine years old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) pretty amazing. Yeah, she really has acquired quite a skill set, and it's you know really fun to see it employed, especially against such loathsome characters as walder frey who we all just despise love to hate him too bad he's gone mashed up assholes yeah mashed up assholes yeah (laughs) (laughs) totally
4: nice
2: um yeah oh my god this is so funny right (laughs) (laughs) scrape 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 Um, drip drip plop (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 those are the best parts where you like <laughs> like starts to, yeah i love those ones yeah it's so funny the food and barf like first we're seeing like bedpans then we're seeing like bowls of food and then we're just like they're being interchanged so rapidly that you can't tell the difference anymore between the barf and the poo and the food oh my god and like, what and do you food. eat and what came out of you and it's just like oh uh.
3: sam's looking at the food knowing that it's gonna
4: come out later <laughs> yeah. in the bed <laughs> The bands.
2: It's it's just amazing to me how quickly this whole plot line progresses at the Citadel here.
4: Very so nice. like
2: Yeah, he he's I in this area and then he hears somebody coming and he like oh goes and pretends to be looking at the books <laughs> as an and pretends to be occupied as the Maester approaches and goes in the locked area. Nice. But he, he's skeptical of the long night though, of of the return of that, because he's saying basically You know, every winter that's ever came has always ended. And yeah, and the wall has stood through it all. And I'm like, oh, here we are in episode one of season seven. Yeah, season seven, episode one, foreshadowing the fall of the wall in episode seven
4: Uh, by mentioning it
2: always standing, you know. (laughs) Damn. Uh, Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Good timing for that.
3: Could it be Dark Sister, or what would take the place of Dark Sister in the show?
2: Oh, maybe that's an interesting option. I hadn't considered that. That I, I do think that that the dagger does take the place of Dark Sister on the show, but it, this could be a more like a direct reference to that. Interestingly, um, but considering that the hilt is made of dragon bone and that the next page of the book is about dragon stone, um, maybe this dagger has some sort of connection with the Targaryen history and lineage oh
3: interesting yeah Uh, makes sense yeah
2: makes me just kind of wondering about the the history of this blade and a scaly arm reaches out of the darkness and tries to grasp at him i remember jumping he's got knowledge about john and being a targaryen Targaryen. yeah which is going to be key next uh season as john learns that Learns the truth.
4: Oh fuck! I can't
3: wait till he finds out. Oh my god!
2: I know. I'm like on pins and needles. <laughs> it's He's gonna it's be insane. so legit. It'll be so legit. He's
3: gonna lose his mind.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna. Oh man, I hope it doesn't drive him and Danny apart from each other.
3: I don't think so. I mean, maybe like relationship wise, but it might bring them closer together in a weird way. Maybe. Not sexually. I Any mean, maybe, I don't know.
2: Oh man. Um he's like, who are you? He's like 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 that Alice in Wonderland. Who are who
4: you? Are you? <laughs> who are you? Who
2: are you That's what I've I written down. What was that? What's his that character called?
3: Um I just called I call him like the little cata like the little puffy caterpillar.
2: Caterpillar yes
3: the smoking caterpillar with the hookah
2: <laughs> <Okay>. yeah <laughs> that guy is cool uh,
4: yeah
3: yeah <laughs> yeah she she has no filter anymore she lost her tie to reality yeah exactly himself
2: she's she completely has, unmoored now
3: she's she's gone
2: yep she's gone it's fucked up she's just a shell of she's the gonna former, be on a rampage
3: so she's fucking crazy
2: yep totally and this is
3: our first hint at that mm-hmm. um and i think it's just gonna
2: get worse and worse and worse it's gonna be awesome <laughs> yeah and this is when she like brings up that like ridiculous dynasty talk
3: it's like what are you talking dynasty about we don't have years. any spawn yeah like, they're all dead
2: <laughs> yeah i shouldn't be laughing it's so fucked up
3: he always has like those great, like one-liners like yeah, that. Totally.
2: Like,
3: you know, what kept you going? Hate. Hate.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally.
3: Why are you so, so foul experienced? <laughs> yeah, it's the best. <laughs> so the hound knows that the truth is real, that they're dead.
2: He's just got to be alive at the right moment to either save the hound or to, to to pass his own life to Sandor to resurrect him, I think. Like mm. breathing the flames into, into Sandor and extinguishing his own flame.
3: Oh, damn.
2: Dying in the process.
3: That's crazy. Yeah,
2: so that's my prediction of what's going to happen. Barrack is going to give his life to resurrect Sandor. We um, could
3: very well see that. I could absolutely see that play out for right. sure.
2: And Sandor is like, uh, he's like, he's he's like, Sandra's like, yeah, it it's is pretty, pretty bad. bad.
3: I didn't have him come here for, you know, all of that anyways. And Jamie's like, well, why is he here? And she looks at him and she goes, a queen. And he's like, oh, fuck
2: me. Well, yeah. Like this trifling ass hoe. And started just slicing all these people down. It was glorious, man. Like a dance. And Jamie's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Those were your family that I was killing. He's like, fuck those people. And he's like, "The place was getting crowded. (laughs) Hilarious (laughs) line is like, that sort of reminded me of um, Ramsey. I always enjoyed being an an only child. I prefer being an only child. (laughs) (laughs) All my life, I've only ever wanted to marry the most beautiful woman in the world. And then at the last minute, he like... He's like Daenerys Targaryen and like pushes her <laughs> off of the fucking red keep or something, you know, and oh, like damn. hands over King's Landing to Danny and I like, guess she like is about to storm the gates and he like walks out with the key and like Cersei's head. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to eleven grams of protein